station. Join us as we rock it through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. Let's get stuck into it. How you doing, boy? It's been a little while. It has been a while. I've had a little hiatus, mm-hmm. uh, I suppose, inadvertently, because I've been <laughs> I've been out of town. Yeah, we keep skipping weeks. I've been rambling. I was skipping town. <laughs> I can clean Eastwood over here. After I killed those people, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're back this week for another episode where we're reviewing a brand new movie that's just hit the theaters. This week it is Joker, mm. directed by as if we Todd were doing Phillips. any other fucking movie for, <laughs> for this week. It's um, we're probably the seventh to ninth group of people that you, the listener, have <laughs> listened to talk about this film, including like news crews, other podcasters. <laughs> Finally, Friends. a movie made for incel cucks like us. Yeah, yeah well, we'll get to it. But, uh, um, yes, if you if you haven't seen it yet, uh, basically all of that news is bullshit. Um, but yes, we'll we'll get to that. Yeah, both of us have fucked. Thank you very <laughs> yeah. much. All the news you've heard, all the stories. There's no truth to it. <laughs> Both of us, between the two of us, at least two roots. I fucked at least That's once. <laughs> you guess which one. Right and in. It's not each other. <laughs> <at gmail.com. laughs> um, that would only count as one so, if we fucked each other. <laughs> so, the, yes, yes. Oh, no, that count as two. Separately. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. We've each fucked once. That's, I, twi- I that's two. I suppose. Between us or... No, but you couldn't say between us we've fucked twice. That's right, you? yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Between us... We've fucked once. <laughs> yeah, damn. Yes, and <laughs> I got I, I got halfway through and had to give up. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> nah, this bit's over, man. <laughs> Are you talking about us screwing or? I, th- I think over, I think over the shirt action counts. That's where my point six five fucks comes from. <laughs> right, right. Over the shirt. I was struggling to figure out what you actually said. Over the shed. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I got, it's been two weeks. I've forgotten how to fucking enunciate. Yeah. No. Um, you and me both. Before we get stuck into uh, our discussion of Joker mm. a bit later on in the episode, we'll let you know before we get into anything. <laughs> you keep looking over at the screen that I've got up as if, <laughs> as if you've forgotten what Joker. the time. <laughs> Joker. <laughs> That's how it's pronounced, right? Joker Phoenix? Yeah. Fuck. Why do they just spell it normally? <laughs> um, <laughs> before we get stuck into that, we will do a bit of patented beef station faff, a uh, bit of news, bit of for beefness or pleasure, let you know what else we've had going on in the last couple of weeks. Um, why don't we get stuck into a bit of news, boy? You ready? Sounds good. Beef bulletin. Big news this week. Once I find it, hold on. Ugh, every time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, one in the chamber and the safety's still on, mate. <laughs> fuck. I thought we were already done with the fucking stuff. <laughs> um, no, big news this week was that Martin Scorsese came out and said that uh, all these Marvel movies aren't real cinema, followed immediately by him saying, but he, of course, hasn't seen them. Uh, <laughs> well, which prompted a whole bunch of people to be like, right, well, get off your high horse, you stupid old man. No, he's um, still right. I feel like in, in the spirit with which it was intended, I think he said it's not cinema in the same way as he, some people might say that, like, I don't know, Harry Potter's not literature, which yeah. you might say, like, right, it's not high-class, artistic-grade cinema file uh, <laughs> sub- 
of substance type material, which I suppose some people might be familiar with. But people are like, what are you saying, man? You're saying it's not moving pictures synced with sound? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Someone buy this old man a dictionary. I think uh, <laughs> people who get angry about that are intentionally reading what he said in bad faith. And I think that they're yeah. mad because he doesn't like a thing that they like. Yeah. And um, in the <laughs> same way that I see that fucking reaction image of like, shh, let people like things post, yeah. posted everywhere. Yeah. Um, shh, let people not like things. Um, I am a little bit upset by the fact that he he's got such this big platform to diss these movies as being like all trash yeah and then said like stop squashing the little guy marvel (laughs) no but he he said like i haven't really seen them i just know they're trash it's like well then shut up you know you can have that opinion if you've seen heaps of them you're martin scorsese though i feel like if steven spielberg or martin scorsese come out and say something bigly bigly fuck hugely (laughs) critical about um parts of cinema it doesn't matter who's making it their opinion means something, and so for them to have that pull be the pull quote, and then for him to follow it up with, oh, but I've only seen one or two. It's like, right, well, you're sort of abusing your your, your public voice then, aren't you? If you haven't really seen anything. And Todd... Um, well, what's... what's well, Todd, who's uh, the victim of his statement? Well, all sorts of different... different. There are so many different movies that fall under the Marvel movies umbrella, like Guardians of the Galaxy and... I think, for example, Guardians of the Galaxy, Black Panther, Spider-Man, and The Avengers are four completely different styles of film, of ranging quality, and he's just saying, they're all trash. And so someone might, I don't know, I think... It- he's not saying they're all trash, he's <laughs> saying they're not cinema. Yeah, right. they're not aiming for the same thing that... I suppose he, he's being dismissive of it in a way that you can take in a very nuanced way and say, right, he's right. But then that pull quote gets plastered all over headlines everywhere, and all of a sudden I think he's being a bit irresponsible with his voice. Um, I think that's a problem with James, the listen, news outlets. James Gunn responded and said... Um, uh, so, so the quote is in, in an interview Scorsese said I don't see them I tried you know but that's not cinema um, on, honestly the closest I can think of them as well as as well made as they are with actors doing the best they can under the circumstances is theme parks it isn't the cinema of human human beings trying to convey emotional psychological experiences to another human being which I agree with but James yeah, Gunn yeah he's po- absolutely right with, yeah but James Gunn pointed out that um, when Scorsese's The Last Temptation of Christ came out way back when, people were picketing cinemas and they hadn't seen it. Um, yeah. And so he's, his, James Gunn's point was like, right, well, don't you think it's a little bit hypocritical of you, motherfucker, to come out and criticise and just give this blanket statement that's so critical of all these different movies that are work done by so many different artists and be like, I haven't really seen them. I've seen one or two and that's enough for me to dismiss the whole genre. And he's like, man, you were a victim of this 30 years ago. And you've and just now acknowledged this- that he's, his statement is like mostly, if not completely correct, whereas I the know, people I, I picketing his enough- movie were clearly... <laughs> Not in the right. I think that there are enough enough Marvel movies that I don't think are very special for him to be able to point his finger at five or six. But I think there are so many more that I enjoy that it seems a bit of a snobby move. I think it's an unnecessarily snobby move. I know that you love to hate them, but I feel like, especially considering his stature in the industry and the fact that he said he hasn't seen them, to come out and diss them, it's like, well... You can't, you're Martin Scorsese. you got to be a bit more like... No, I like that he gave an opinion. It's not a valid. I, I, I would. It is a valid opinion, and I think he he's right. Seen them. I think he's still right. I think he works in the industry. He knows what those movies are. He knows how yeah. they're made, and I he f- knows that like any kind of like I feel a- like any, any actual emotional creativity has been sucked out of them by yeah. like design by committee processes. I think sure I think, there are exceptions yeah. to the rule, yeah. and those exceptions, I guess, are yeah victims of the blanket statement. I think half of them are really half of the ones that have come out recently are really cool, at least. Um, and I don't know. I think that I think that any fuckwit can absorb um, 
critical headlines and pull an opinion from that and be like, oh, from all these headlines, I've learned that they're trash, so I ignore them. And it's like, well, you can well, ignore them. Well, that person is a moron then, and yeah, I, I don't think that's think what Scorsese Mark Scorsese's should've... doing. He says he hasn't seen them. But he says he... that they're trash, but I haven't seen them. I don't know. I don't have sympathy for anyone involved in this statement. Like, <laughs> I, I, I think he, he's not going to... try to pull sympathy from the wrong man. He's not harming Marvel's profits. Uh, and if he was, I would only be rooting for him more. I, I think it's a shame for someone that has such a big standing in the industry to give such a blanket statement about all these different pieces of art or whatever. Um, yeah. In a, in a way that it's like, oh, come on, you should know better, man. Like, especially... Yeah, you should know better. No, I again, I like that he spoke his mind. Or maybe it's one of the yeah, I suppose so. Maybe it's one of those. You see a lot of um, I'm gonna wrangle this back to the Beatles, like I try to do every week. There's an yeah. old interview that you can watch on YouTube. Cross that where, one off your bingo cards. <laughs> where Paul McCartney is asked by some journalist in the '60s, like, "Have you ever done LSD or whatever?" And he's like, "No, I'm gonna stop you there. I'm gonna give you an honest answer, and it's up to you. It's up to you whether you want to like report it everywhere." So. When the headline comes out saying Paul McCartney says kids should do drugs, that's not what I'm saying. You're asking me a question. I don't want to lie, so I'll give you an honest answer. And yeah. if you, it's, your, it's your responsibility to then spread this spread this information responsibly. You don't have to report it if you don't want to, but you ask. I'm going to tell you. Um, and I think in the same way, like maybe it's just yeah. Well, some sorry, point. what did all the headlines say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like I bet it was Paul McCartney gives kids LSD. Yeah, right. <laughs> Paul McCartney manufactures LSD in his <laughs> right, bathtub yeah. and says, "Listen to yeah. Pepper on this, baby." Yeah. Um, Paul McCartney gives him a taste <laughs> and hooks him in for life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Gateway McCartney. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, so, like granted, I, I'm saying, look, this guy hasn't seen it. What does he make a statement on when I haven't actually seen the whole interview? So maybe this whole interview, in greater context, is him giving some flippant remark that they have, like, fuckwits like us overanalyzing it halfway across the globe. But he's like, no, it's a 20 minute interview. Yeah. I just flippantly said, ah, oh, it's not really my thing. I haven't seen it. I'm ignoring it. Um, well, I don't know. it's also like... What, but it's generated what, a lot sorry, of headlines this week. What are we... Yes, it has. I saw a bunch of the outrage things. But like, what are we defining as cinema before we get angry at him? Exactly. Because like, what he is using as a term for cinema, people are angry because it's not what they define as cinema. It's exactly what you said. It's moving pictures synced with sound. Right? Yeah. It's, by definition, film. Yeah. Our film, our movie. Yeah, but, but he's not saying that's not a movie. I think, obviously... Right. Obviously, I'm saying I haven't, haven't read the DVD, but it sounds like he's saying... That's not in the same way as you could say like that's not a book that's literate that's of literate yeah yeah, yeah. Kind of exactly but like in the same way that the Oscars awards were looking at um like having that separate awards category for like most entertaining or whatever yeah. versus like real art yeah. which I'm all for because they're trying to do different things but yeah I think that's just what people people are angry about it because they were like man he didn't like something that I like and it's a man that I respect well yeah. yeah. Man, you you like things that are a different, a totally different beast to the things that he's trying to make, and I I like that he's making a distinction there. Yeah, I think that I think that maybe it devalues to some degree all the discussion around it. Devalues the contribution that the films have to people's enjoyment of movies in general. There's no that, rational like, reason for that. I yeah, well, I yeah, I think that to some degree, it's like Martin Scorsese, this hugely valued director, comes out and says. Oh, it's not cinema. And you can spin that as like this guy saying, you're all morons for liking this stuff. And it's like, well, I dis- Yes. No, I disagree. I think it's <laughs> snobby to say that. And I think there are so many different kinds of Marvel movies that are great, that people enjoy, that people look forward to and gather around with their family and it's yes. this moment of bonding for Idiots. people. <laughs> that like... I don't, I, I don't know. In a way, like I, I wish he'd use his platform more responsibly. And yeah. like I agree that 
in general, I don't mean what I analyze. Was about, yeah, if you analyze like word by word what he's saying, you could probably say it's probably a valid opinion to have. Yeah. But the fact that he then admits that he hasn't seen them seems like it's Scorsese jumping on. He the He says he way. tried. Like you don't yeah. know how much he's given. He could have watched half an hour of five Marvel yeah, movies. Right. That's enough to give you. It reminds me of the same sort of thing where it's like oh, I've been guilty of this as well of like dismissing a lot of pop music. It's been like oh, it's trash. But it's like well, if you listen to. Like a lot of like I don't know Taylor Swift or whatever. It's it's well made for the audience that it's intended for, and I think it's unfairly dismissive to just be like, "Oh fuck all of that." Yeah, I mean, and we'll get to I if guess, you haven't tried to consume it, we'll get to a lot of the criticism surrounding this film, where there were a lot of pieces exactly coming out right. saying, "I haven't seen this movie <laughs> and I don't want to," um, but here's why you shouldn't watch Joker. Like, That's well. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. large, largely relevant, I suppose, in part to what we're discussing later on in the episode. Um, Sam Mendes, another headline here for you, bruh. Sam Mendes, uh, director of Skyfall, is, according to Empire Magazine here, trying something new with his new film, 1917, uh, which is coming out very soon, and it's all going to be shown in one shot, or at least... So it's not going to be filmed in one shot, but it's going to be the same Birdman Yeah, thing. I did hear about this, yeah. I think it's an exciting way of... Fil- it's always interesting that it seems like... Movie. a yeah. That'll be exciting. Um, I don't really know very much else about this film, to be honest. I think because I think because I've already decided that I want to see it, yeah. And so I'm trying to avoid <laughs> avoid seeing it. But um, Roger Deakins is working on this film. He sent- <laughs> as what cinematographer. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Roger Deakins rocked up. And- <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like. It's like- is so he an executive Sam, executive producer or what? What makes you think that we should see this movie? Roger Deakins is working on it. Doing what? He's working on it. Yeah, right? yeah. He's like making cucumber sandwiches out the back. Right, yeah. Can you get me a coffee, Roger? Driving <laughs> his grandson to work who is <laughs> yeah. working as the best Driving boy. his fail son nephew who's <laughs> some fucking gaffer's assistant. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. No, he's um, the DP, right? Yes. Uh, the quick, quick uh, synopsis that Empire gives here is that there are two young British soldiers in a race against time, uh, crossing em- enemy territory to deliver a secret message that will stop a deadly attack on hundreds of soldiers. Um, I don't know war type shit. Yeah, it looks really exciting, and I'm <laughs> I'm guilty of saying I'm mostly interested because I like all the posters. A lot of the posters, good design, uh, are really well designed. I'm like, oh well, if they care about the poster, they probably care about the other twenty eight thousand <laughs> frames that are in this movie. So. <laughs> I'll watch that. Hold on. <laughs> no, no, Andrew, don't rush me. Hold on. I'm holding on. Wait up. <laughs> I'm gonna murder you. <laughs> no, no, there's a cool headline, but I'm trying to cut. To, I didn't bother to read the article yet, so I'm trying to cut. Just read the headline. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Sorry. <laughs> the headline is the cool part of the article. <laughs> Okay, here it is. This is good. Um, Snoop, <laughs> you, you ready, boy? <laughs> but, uh, with behind the scenes, yes. we've, we've sat in silence for five minutes while I skip oh this article. Oh my god! <laughs> Snoop, it's like. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Snowpiercer director Bong Joon Ho lied to Harvey Weinstein to save the bizarre fish scene from the film. Um, interview here with director Bong Joon Ho. Um, Which fish scene? Oh, I, I don't. I've watched this movie recently, and to be honest, I don't remember. Um, oh, maybe it was the um, sushi scene where they ate sushi in the sushi car, and she was like, "This only happens twice every year, and we cull the fish." And there's like an aquarium. I don't remember what you're talking about. It's the movie with the train and the snow. Are you talking about Snowpiercer or Parasite? Snowpiercer. Oh, I was thinking of Parasite. The movie I said. 
Yeah, no. And in my head, <laughs> yeah, you're like, in my I'm head, I was sure like, Parasite's a way better movie by that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make the story about Parasite yeah, instead. Yeah. Listen up, Toots. I'm going to tell you what this story is really about. No, it's the scene in Snowpiercer, I imagine, where there's like an aquarium car and okay. then they go and maybe eat sushi or whatever. You motherfucker. Go on. <laughs> right. So, um, uh, Bong Joon Ho was talking about. Uh, in in an interview with Vulture about um, how Harvey really liked to be involved in the cut of the movies and like trying to cut the movies down and be like, oh, you don't need that. And like pressuring filmmakers to get rid of entire cut scenes in their movies and that. Um, And then he'd stop sexually assaulting someone and finish his sentence. Yeah, Yeah, God. Um, uh, Harvey Scissorhands, as he was known, um, took such pride in his (laughs) edit of the film um, apparently Bong Joon-ho and Harvey Weinstein butted heads constantly, Screen Rant says here, and a, and a compromise was seemingly out of the question. According to this interview, um, he demanded all sorts of changes, including cutting about 25 minutes of the film, um, adding more action, all that sort of thing. And he said there was, he, he said like cutting the 25 minutes would have made the film completely incoherent. Um, so like the scene in question, two, it's a bit like Gangs of New York style where two... Uh, groups come to heads in the middle of a train carriage and then they there's like this fish and they're sort of cutting the fish up with an axe and it's all in slow motion with blood dripping and stuff. I don't remember this scene at all. No, neither do I. It doesn't Maybe really... Maybe this was finally cut. Fuck, Harvey was right, dog. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're just, we're just straight I'm up not watching sure what's, YouTube now. Yeah, it's, Chris, it's, Chris it's a bizarre scene. Confused. Um, but the fish bit is where Bong Joon-ho chose to draw the line when Weinstein expressed his hatred of the scene in which a character guts a fish to intimidate the other passengers. Bong simply blurted out the first thing he could think of. I said, Harvey, this shot means something to me. My father was a fisherman. Weinstein relented, saying, family is the most important thing. It's most important. You have the shot. Bog explained later, it was a fucking lie. My dad wasn't a fisherman. (laughs) I just wanted to keep the scene. Uh, That rocks. That rocks. I'm here for it. And Um, Bong Joon-ho continues to be one of my favorite people in the film industry. I don't remember that scene at all, which is strange. Neither do I. I watched it on Netflix. I wonder if it did get cut. Yeah, maybe. It I don't did. think it did. I'm assuming I was just like, I, just, I don't know. That that one just slipped out of my memory. Well, I stand with Harvey specifically in relation to cutting this fish scene from specifically Snowpiercer and nothing else. Uh, got oh, another. that's interesting. Okay, so uh, the first comment on this video is saying <laughs> it's a reference to an old custom, and groups of people like this had to execute others. They would all wear masks and pre-blood their weapons, so after the executions, no one would know who actually performed the killing. Similarly to half of the firing squads having blanks in their guns, so they don't know who's actually done it, and they can deal with the guilt of having executed someone. <laughs> that sounds so a that's, bit like you'd be like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's what it is. Well, I mean, it makes otherwise sense. Otherwise, why was it in the movie? Well, otherwise, he would have said that, not like, oh, no, my dad liked fish. Harvey Weinstein doesn't get the, doesn't seem like the kind of person <laughs> would have given a fuck about that. Will Smith is overseeing the development of a new Fresh Prince of Bel-Air spin-off series. We don't really have much other info here other than that. Right. There you go. <laughs> Next headline. <laughs> Roger that. Uh, okay, I've got a couple bits of Daniel Craig, James Bond news to finish off with. But Rapid we'll get, fire, JB. Uh, but before we get into the RFJBN... Where Annie's news. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, Jordan Peele has signed a five-year deal with Universal. He's going to be writing and directing another two movies for Universal Pictures, okay. which is exciting. Um, his studio, Monkey Paw, 
is also his production company or whatever the fuck is also committed. They said Universal and him put out a statement saying they're committed to increasing diversity in Hollywood films and stuff, which is what they've shown to be doing in the last two movies already. Yeah, because um, he says he only casts white people if there's a good reason to cast yeah, a white person, which is cool. Yeah. Um, of course, his and last racist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give the white man a yeah. go. Um, <laughs> too uh, good for too long. And they've been producing films and productions for other people as well. So they're currently involved in a remake of Candyman that Peel's writing. Um, Hopefully a reboot. What do you mean? Well, not just like a remake. Well, I don't know. Obviously. His talent like, is yeah. so fucking squandered <laughs> um, on a remake. I suppose that's what it means. Yeah, like a re- reboot, remake, whatever. It's the same sort of thing. I don't know. Um, uh, <laughs> Every also- other news article you've given me has been about a fucking remake. <laughs> they're also doing that Twilight Zone series on CBS that we watched a couple of episodes of. Yeah. And a... HBO series that has something to do with HP Lovecraft that I haven't okay. quite looked into. But well, that'll be of, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a nice little theme going I, there. I imagine Lovecraft wouldn't have liked the <laughs> the production crew on that one. Yeah. Um, and I didn't realize he was a producer on Black Klansman. So he's... He was, yeah. Oh, cool. Which is cool. So he got a like a best picture. Because I suppose it's the producers that get nominated for the best picture when you're in that category so he's had a best picture nomination as a producer as well as all the other nominations he's had as a writer director so i'm excited i didn't love us as much as i liked get out Mm. but i'm still excited with the things he's doing and he's doing new things with the industry yes he's a a good guy uh tom holland uh, i know that you are very invested in this apparently tom tom holland the little spider twink that he is has managed to (laughs) managed to wrangle a deal between marvel and sony (laughs) um apparently the story goes here that they were at some uh festival uh press conference type thing where a whole bunch of different production studios were there and tom holland um (laughs) where they were slaughtering animals ritualistically because that's what those people do (laughs) um and children allegedly he apparently like um, walked up to, I don't remember which one it was, the, the head of either Sony or Disney and like cap in hand, like, please, sir, please let me be Spider-Man for Marvel again. Um, and like got them to reconnect. And I don't know. This all just seems like the most manufactured bullshit. I don't. Like, yeah. Oh, uh, come on. They definitely did some 20 year old fucking Spider-Man actor to be like, oh, please, you have to reconcile your differences. Yeah. It's way um, more easy to conceptualize some PR team coming up with a good news story about Tom yeah. Holland doing this than it is for that to actually have happened. Yeah. Um, fuck off, Marvel. <laughs> fuck off. Like, oh, God damn. And Disney, I, fuck off with you. And I think that the, the story was always going to be like, Oh, no, Tom Holland's still going to be Spider-Man. They're still going to make Spider-Man movies. So it was really just like, no, that's so much better with the happy family that is Marvel. Whatever. I don't know. I think this movies have done well enough that it doesn't need to have some sort of manufactured bullshit headline. But there you go. For anyone that was emotionally invested, Tom Holland has played Peacekeeper with Marvel and Sony and we're all happy families again. Back to the story everyone was more interested in. Yeah. James Bond story number one in the movie that will not leave the headlines. Watch Daniel Craig give a quite drunk farewell speech to the James Bond crew as No Time to Die raps in front of a 007-themed birthday cake. Have I mentioned how much No Time to Die sucks as a title? I don't mind. I think it's one of the worst titles that any James Bond film has ever had. No, it's good. That's just the same as all the other ones. No, I think Octopussy is about the worst one. Uh, It's on par, yeah. Tell you what. It's false advertising, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I watched it. She's only got one. You don't even get to see it. <laughs> Is it? Does it share the anatomy of an octopus, though? 
<laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. It's like one of those one of those uh, Can you confirm that it's not? Japanese animated films <laughs> <laughs> that you've watched. I suppose Mono Pussy doesn't really have the same ring to it, yeah. does it? No. Um Yeah, so that's that's story number one. James Bond gives drunk speech in front of 007 Cake. You're welcome. That that made the headlines. Okay. Daniel Craig's drunk, given given a farewell to the job that he said he would rather kill himself than do again, yeah. quite literally. So yeah. Forgive my skepticism. Um, next one. Yeah, God, they really will run a fucking headline on anything, won't they? Like, that's like, <laughs> that's the acting equivalent of an office party farewell. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. who gives a fuck? Yeah. <laughs> okay, this one's... Right, number two. This one's even better. You thought that was mundane. Oh, God. Stick with me because this story goes downhill very quickly. <laughs> James Bond film crew spark terror alert at UK airbase. You know, right. you th- you th- first, you're thinking, terrorism. Sounds cool. Tell me more. They left a lens bag unattended. Oh, boy. Uh, filming for the new movie was taking place at the Bryce Norton Air Base, from NME's article here, uh, and an alert was sparked after the crew reportedly left a van used in filming on set with its security pass having expired. Okay. The discovery of the van then sent the security base into high alert with approximately 400 people evacuated from the area. A 300-meter cordon was put in place while it was assembled by bomb disposal teams. It was an unbelievable blunder to have caused such a massive security risk, a source told The Sun. Um, the Sun, fuck off. Told here that James Bond was unavailable to attend the scene because he was busy drunkenly shouting in front of cake <laughs> mere Daniel miles Craig, away. Yeah. There you go. Uh, so yeah, James Bond film coming along quite nicely, it seems. I will say now that I have seen no actual news about this movie all I've seen are uh, increasingly farcical headlines. Yeah. Just, <laughs> mostly, mostly from the sun. Just live stream the set. <laughs> and I and I would love I would love to find I would love to boycott the sun as much as I usually do, but <laughs> yeah. I will make an exception for these stupid Solely James Bond headlines. James so Bond I can perpetuate headlines. our own fake news that James Bond are little media tramps. Because they're probably not. Yeah. I imagine that everyone gets equally dumb. I think they're probably fucking oh, oh, yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> but then fucking NME for running whatever. Whatever. Fucking NME. It all sucks. Right. <laughs> um That's all I got for the news, boy. Yeah. I've got a bit of beefness or pleasure. Yeah. You go got ahead. No, I don't think I do. I think I was travelling for work. Oh no, I do. I do. Yes, I have one thing. Jesus. Yes. Well, you know, keep me up. But dead. it's a bit it's a big one. <laughs> so go for it. Alright. Uh, well of course. Beef no so pleasure, the segment where every week Andrew and I prepare rigorous, hard-hitting, journalistic-type material on our cinematographic picture of choice. This week, it was El Joker, starring Joaquin Phoenix. Um, you know, we, we strap on our boots. Very hard to subtitle that in a podcast. Oh, yeah, no, this this is all for copyright purposes. Uh, I'm like Jack White. I do every podcast a little bit differently. DCMA'd. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we, we, you know, we, we lace up our boots, tuck in our shirts, whack on our trench coats and trilbies and run out into the media frenzy, microphone held aloft. So I'm wondering where you're going with that. Uh, you know, but sometimes when we're... Uh, Get caught for public indecent exposure. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, 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 we're not doing that. You know, we like to uh, sit down by the fire in our wing-backed armchair and sip on an old-fashioned while uh, Duke Ellington plays in the background on a phonograph. You know, we like to we like to relax. We like to... Hey, hey, don't judge us. We like to... 
we like to pursue other other pursuits, other other art forms, other cinema. Martin Scorsese, if that is you, so of this week. I think that's the worst one I've ever done. What do you reckon? That, that intro might go for as long as I have to talk about my movie. <laughs> as long as I have to live. Um, please. Damn. Um, we watch other movies. We don't just watch The Joker. We watch other movies. So this I'm going to cut section. everything you said earlier and only put <laughs> that in. We talk about other movies. Stuff I- that's not Joker. That's the new title of this segment. <laughs> do I still get to do a Russian accent at yes. least? Stuff that's not Joker. <laughs> uh, oh, man, I watched a movie this week that I have been meaning to watch for quite a while. The Graduate. I watched The oh, Graduate. Okay. Um, 1967 uh, comedy film starring Dustin Hoffman. I think I am right in saying it was his breakout role. I think so. Uh, directed by Mike Nichols. Written by Calder Willingham and Buck Henry. So, of course, this is straight out of America the in the 60s. 1960s. That's um, true. I had sort of... I, I was, I'd was always been passingly interested in it because it's, of course... Uh, it's where that the, scene's from. It's, all, it's, it's an iconic classic Hollywood film. Uh, soundtrack by Simon and Garfunkel. So, already that's enough to hook me in. Mm. Um but I saw somewhere that it was like a comedy and I thought like, oh, it's a 60s comedy. I'm sure it'll be good, but like it's not going to hold up. So I'll, you know what I mean? Like a lot of old, com- like Monty Python even isn't really that funny if you can yeah. like, watch it without some sort of nostalgic attachment to it. Um, this was such a funny movie, man. Yeah. It, it, good writing. It felt so modern huh. and so sharp and so dry. Maybe that's why it's still referenced. Oh man, so it was so often. good. in it's comedic sensibilities, it felt so modern. Hmm. Um, so basically it's about this guy, it's a Dustin Hoffman plays in a very traditional 60s style. He's about 30 and he plays like a 20-year-old kid. Yeah. Um, Dustin Hoffman plays a kid from a very rich family who's just come home from college and his parents are trying to railroad him down this um, down this path of becoming a doctor and becoming rich and successful and doing that. And he's not really sure. And so it's kind of about the summer after college where he's... um aimlessly chilling out for a few months trying to figure out what he's going to do with the rest of his life. So he's the graduate. Um, and at a family... His, his, his gap year. Yeah, exactly. His thigh gap year. <laughs> oh, 1960s. Thank God you're here. Because <laughs> you've got a hair in your teeth. <laughs> um, no, so, so he, it's basically about this sort of... this. It's, it's kind of a coming of age kind of story. Um, Dustin Hoffman plays a kid who's trying to work out what he's going to be doing for the rest of his life. And it's, it's so it's it's a lot about the intergenerational differences between the old and the young in that very key pivotal time in the 60s where there was a lot of political uprising and that kind of thing. A lot of like free love, um, the proliferation of drugs and psychedelic music and that kind of thing. So that's a very, very much the undertone of this film where it's like you get that classic teenager like, fuck you, mom and dad, I can do whatever I want. But the main plot of the film is basically... Um, a family friend of theirs, Mrs. Robinson, which is where the song comes from, I suppose, yeah. um, seduces Dustin Hoffman. And she's like a 50-year-old woman. And so he and has that, this... that famous scene where she's got her leg up with the yeah. stocking on and he says, are you trying to seduce me? Yeah, right. Um, and so the whole film is kind of about um, him and these problems he's having and then the romance that he has with Mrs. Robinson over that summer um, and where that sort of leads him and how that sort of influences him as a person. Right. Um, but it's so funny. I feel like I'm not going to be able to remember enough of it or summarize enough of it blow by blow to explain why it is. But needless to say... We believe you. One of the funnier movies I've seen in ages. And I think it's even more 
notable considering how old it is. I think a lot of older sort of 60s era comedy doesn't necessarily hold up. Um, and this is really good. The soundtrack is, of course, great. Something that I did find a little bit frustrating about the soundtrack is that there's two Simon and Garfunkel songs that are literally played like four times each. Oh. <laughs> it's really weird, Meant man. to be like theme songs? It's like a theme. Yeah, right. So it's the, the Sounds of Silence um, is, it's I think, the quite theme weird. for the movie. Um, and so it's played quite a few times, which I suppose you w- wouldn't be noticeable if it was a score. But because it's the fucking Sounds of Silence... Right. <laughs> You sort of notice it every time it comes up. I suppose in 1967, if the film had only just come out when that song had come out, um, it would be less less frustrating. That was the only little thing. But of course, it's Simon and Garfunkel. I feel like we're going to get uh, angry letters in the mail. It's actually the sound of silence, not sounds. Really? Sounds. There's one sound of silence. Damn. A singular sound. And that's what that is, mm. dear listener. Here it is, coming up right now. <laughs> Just one sound of silence. <laughs> it's yeah. the disturbed version. Highly recommended this film. Mm. I thought um, it's really interestingly shot. There's a lot of fun cinematographic type shots. Where well, if the that, same way as that iconic watching. scene is any indication, like that's right. a really interesting, funny, quirky framing. So if it does that effect, there's bit, a lot that's of cool. funny, quirky frames like that. Like um, th- there's a scene where they're having a conversation, and the conversation is played out through the reflection on a glass table. Right, um, which is an interesting little shot. Um, lots of stuff where I, I, it reminded me of when we were watching. You were never really here, and I said like it looks like they were just having fun making the movie. Yeah, right. And it turned out with this cool product. And in the same way, it really feels like the Graduate was a movie they were just having fun making. Mm. And like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we did this? Wouldn't it be cool if we did this? Um, so all in all, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I watched it for like five dollars on iTunes, so it's easy to get. And uh, I'd assume it would be. I'd anyway. recommend it. Yeah. I don't think that it's. I don't know. You could I could easily watch a film like The Birds just to pick another classic Hollywood movie out of my ass that doesn't hold up very well. Right. I think that The Birds when I tried to watch it maybe it was in a funny mood. I don't think it held up very well. It's in the same way as you can listen to some old 60s music One and be of the like the best movies to watch if you're in a funny mood. I think. <laughs> um yeah, no, I, I, in the same way as like a lot of 60s music, I think you can listen to it and be like, "Right, well I appreciate that this was influential for its time." but it's not really doing anything for me. I was worried that this would be what that was, and so I got it a little while ago and I just put off watching it. No, so good. I'm, I'm not missing the irony of you being the one to say that. By the yeah, way. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, okay, cool. I'm glad you enjoyed it. That's all I, that's all I did this week, really. I started watching... <laughs> that's all you did this that's week. That's all I did this week. Watched it on 0.017 <laughs> times speed. <laughs> yeah. Took the week off work. No, I mean, I, mean, I, don't, I don't have anything else for beep this on pleasure. The pacing been, was a bit off. <laughs> I've been big, big, big back on the video games, boy, and I don't yeah. want to uh, dox myself as a fucking square yeah. on this pod, so I'm going to keep uh, that to myself. I hate to but I, I think they already know. <laughs> what have you got, boy? Both of us. I've also been big in on the video games, actually. Playing Fire Emblem, Three Houses. <laughs> very good. Weeb shit. Weeb shit. Weeb gang. Weeb gang. Um, I have one item of beefness or pleasure, but as I mentioned earlier... Yeah, one item of... Sorry, what? I just, I just, didn't, I just <laughs> didn't understand what you were... Beefness or, or pleasure. Fucking hell. It's not, yeah, that one really struggled. Andrew's Bulgarian cousin <laughs> walked into the room. Uh, Czechian or whatever. I think it was probably closer to Bulgarian, if we're honest. Come on, let's not beat around the bush here. Yeah, I don't know. I just hesitated in it. Uh, oh, really fuck. We're not talking about this, are we? So, yeah, I watched uh, Cloud Atlas. <sighs> All right. I mean, detach my microphone here. So, speaking as an objective third party, why? No, but most importantly, it's a three-hour movie, right? 
So, uh, did you want to talk mostly about this movie that I watched? <laughs> Fuck <laughs> you. I Standing alone. I think the one question you have to answer when you're talking about this three-hour fucking movie right. and the Wachowskis did Matrix 2 and 3 that were widely panned is... By idiots. Is it any good? Yeah, it's good. Ah, great. Yeah. So, the Joker this week. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, right, no. So, what did you think? Um, you weren't yeah, going to tell I, us I really, what you thought, were you? I really liked it. So, the, the I guess the the hook of this movie, which is not necessarily established straight away. Two minutes, shove it up your ass. All right, mate. Don't watch it if you didn't want to, okay? <laughs> Which you didn't. So let me talk about it. I'm going to um, Scorsese the fuck out of this review. It's got an insane cast. Uh, so just to list a few. Uh, oh, my God. Halle Berry, Jim Broadbent, <laughs> uh, Tom Hanks, Hugh Grant, Hugo Weaving, Susan Sarandon, uh, Keith David. There's a, there's a bunch of people. The casting um, for this movie on Wikipedia, if you look it up, is represented in like an Excel spreadsheet-looking yes. table. And that's because... <laughs> that is because... This movie takes place over, I believe, six different time periods with characters being played by recurring actors. So, in each time period, the same cast of people play different characters. And there is a reason for that. Is it like a Back to the Future style thing where it's like William Wallace the third, second and third, first, second and third or what? No, it's not. I I think that there is an implication. I can't remember if it's direct or implied, but there's an implication that like they're... um, no, it's not so much like it's not descendants. It's not any like right, bloodline okay. stuff. It's 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 much more symbolic in their okay. choice to use that. Um, and it, uh, I'm <clears throat> the way that I'll talk about this would be a little bit weird because I'm trying to avoid spoilers for people that want to watch it, which sure. they should. It's a okay. good movie. How did you um, watch it? Is it on Netflix? It's on Netflix. Yeah, right. So super easy to watch. Already, if it's three hours and six different timelines, this sounds like the sort of thing that will be very easily consumed as like a like a mini series or something. Uh, yeah, I mean, it cuts back and forth between the timelines a lot, which is why I think you might struggle, you but maybe you could just... suck it up and watch it. I just think, <laughs> do it in one go, yeah. Okay. I think that's going to be less... I think you'll enjoy it more if you just, just set aside a night. Yep. Okay. Um, but the, the, the... It's kind of difficult to talk about what the themes are because... The, or sort of, Sorry, what happens because I would have to describe six different storylines. But basically... So they are... Um, are, they, are they essentially like completely separate six storylines for the, for the most no, part? No, they're linked. Right. It's... The idea is um, that... So it start, the first storyline starts in the... Let me, let me just have a go at this and we'll see if it makes any sense. The storylines range from the 1840s uh, through the mid nineteenth century into modern day, and then past modern day into the twenty one and twenty three hundreds, right? Yeah. And in that period of time, you can see that, like, humanity has like you. You can see the, the past, which is accurate to humanity's past, yeah. but then the future is like projections of what kind of happened. So there are some. The the near distant future is like this Blade Runner esque like kind of hyper capitalist world, and then further than that, there's been some sort of collapse and society is in ruins um, because yeah. things have moved way backwards. People speak a different language that's kind of broken English, whereas in the near future version, everyone still speaks English. That's cool. Um, so what you get are like you get drip fed what's happened to society across and the world across these different storylines, and you see similar patterns emerging of people who are oppressed rising up 
and being revolutionaries against the systems of oppression. So you right. have characters playing the oppressors and characters playing the revolutionaries, <laughs> and it it shows the how oppressies. yeah, and it shows how um, each iteration of revolution kind of feeds into the next one, and how every time there will be this pushback against the revolution. Um, it will inevitably succeed, but then um, it, there will be a different thing that establishes itself as the natural order, and then or, or, or the cool. new order, and then the revolution will happen again. Um, are, are the ones based in the past based around real revolutions in real history? So, like I'm looking here already, the settings are the Pacific Islands in the 1850s, San Fran in the 1970s, London in 2012, Scotland and England in the 1930s. Like, are they? Are they real historical kind of events? Do you know? I don't think so. Um, right. I think that they are. They might be sort of inspired by things that happened, but okay. um, and certainly like the one in the eighteen fifties is about slavery, which was a real process. But I'm not sure if they're real characters or anything like that. I feel like they're all fictionalized. This does sound really cool. The more I think about the movie, the more I like the idea of. <laughs> watching it in principle. It's it's neat. And honestly, yeah. it didn't feel like a slog. I didn't get bored. I mean, I'm less susceptible to that than I think most people are, but... Um, I suppose I'm probably not... Yeah. I don't mind either. I suppose it really is just like... Because I've, yeah, I've sat there and watched three hours It's just a daunting before. number. I think it is, exactly. It, the worst... Pr- probably the, the worst thing that this film has going for it is its running time. Yeah. Um, it's just short of three hours. And yeah, like, that's not really that long. I mean, I feel like if this had a like if this was a Tarantino movie people would be like, oh it's like hateful eight where people yeah. are like, oh okay I'm watching that. Oy, oy, oy. Yeah. <laughs> um, was it easy to follow? You didn't have, did you have to be particularly switched on when you're watching it? Can uh, I be on my phone while I watch this movie? <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't because I think that if you're gonna not pay attention to it, just don't watch it. It it is a bit of a movie where you've kind of got to follow what's going on. Right. It wasn't hard to follow what's going on, but if you were like you can't make dinner while you're watching this movie. Right. You'll you'll have to you'll lose track of what's what's you there. Like dinner three times while you're watching this movie. Yeah, um, <laughs> you can cook a banquet while you're watching it. But um, oh, yeah, uh, God, I, it really is a hell of a cast. The isn't settings, it? yeah, and and all of the performances are really great. The aesthetic is insane. I can't. Uh, what they would have had to spend to make this movie look the way that it does is incredible because they would have had to have full period design for six different eras, oh, that's <laughs> including really cool. like a lot of visual effects for the later ones and a lot of practical set design for the earlier I mean, ones. The fact that they they only needed a budget of it says here like 140 million. Yeah, that's it's kind pretty, of astounding. It's pretty surprising, honestly. Um, it didn't do that well at the box office. It it made its money back basically, but uh, I think it was just a little too weird for people. Yeah. Um, and I kind of get that, but yeah, I think it's really good. And if you're into like, I mean, if you liked the first Matrix movie, this is less, It this is more like whimsical and like a fairy tale and right. less kind of like... Is it a fun watch? Is it funny? Or? Yes. Yeah, it is. It and, and it's interesting, but it also, it has the opportunity. So the middle storyline uh, about, um, from 2012... Uh, features like the protagonist is played by Jim Broadbent, and he's this um, Broadbent Jim fucking Broadbent, and he's this publisher of this uh, gangster memoir writer played by Tom Hanks, right. and he his it's basically 
his storyline is that he goes into debt and ends up getting put in a nursing home against his will, and right. then it becomes about him escaping from the nursing home. So it's really like this micro story that just is about one person, and it's the smallest scale of the other stories. Yeah. Because his rebellion is the smallest scale rebellion, but the seed that his character plants goes on to influence the later storylines which are much larger scale so it sort of has it also has like different different scopes across the different storylines if you get what i mean some of them are huge revolutionary stories and some of them are like very small personal rebellions which is really neat um (laughs) it sounds like it gives you a lot to think about it does so when you're asking like is it fun it's like some parts of it are really fun but it also has parts of it that are hyper violent and quite shocking um it's rated ma so it it, it really has some like there's some Proper violence in there. Yeah. Um, so it's not like a kid's movie, I guess. But it has that tone of... Like old school Disney type stuff almost, maybe? Mm, yeah, I guess. Like the way yes. you're describing kind of almost makes me sound like... Makes me sound like... Makes me feel like the same sort of tone that Forrest Gump had. Where it's no. fun in parts and it's dramatic in parts and it's all over. Like it's an all, it's an all singing, all dancing kind of movie. No, I don't think uh, Forrest Gump so much is because it's not quite that... Like well, of whimsy or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's more like uh, Pan's Labyrinth. You know, like a okay, like a sure. fairy tale, but kind of like a dark fairy tale. Like um, a film that's not taking itself too seriously, but it still has dark parts to it. At at points, it takes itself very seriously. <laughs> right? okay. Again, the the later storylines are a lot more like grim dark, but yeah. some of them are yeah funny. It's like. It, particularly the one that I'm talking about with the publisher, it's like it, it almost feels like uh, Best Exotic Marigold Hotel kind of stuff. It's okay. like old people going on a romp, but then and then like the '70s ones are more like corporate espionage style movies, but then the later ones are more like The Matrix. That's you know? so weird. It is. It's a weird movie. It took me a while. The first like 40 minutes where it's establishing all these different storylines, I was like. What the fuck am I watching? <laughs> but then when I started to... Re- and, and I was like, God, it's weird that they're using the same cast. But then you realize why they're doing it. Right. Um, and it's a very cool way and a bold way to try and tell the story that they're telling. Which cool. really, I don't think could have been done any other way. Right. I really enjoyed it. I would recommend it. Uh, it was great. And uh, the Wachowski siblings are, are uh, awesome and this does feel like they really pushed it. Cool. <laughs> like, where they were kind of like, so we've got this uh, idea, and they sort of, off the back of the Matrix series, maybe just let got them... Got money for it. And let them do, yeah. And I, I think um, it's a wonder that it works as well as it does. Oh, that's cool. I really no, liked it. I am kind of happy in principle with the idea that they've managed to pull this off. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I think it's great. Again, it's a pity that it didn't make its money back, but these types of films never fucking do. I suppose it's idiots like me being like, oh, three hours, bleh. Well, literally, I think that is one of the reasons. Uh, there's something about the two-hour mark, and like that's the length of time people will sit without needing to go to the toilet. Literally. Yeah, and so like that sucks, <laughs> but yeah. I get it. I think that's a, there's um, a st- famous Steven Spielberg quote or something, where it's yeah. like the, the length of a movie is limited by the volume of a man's bladder. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a person's bladder. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> well, his quote was probably shitty, but yeah, um, the that that's that's an unfortunate aspect of this uh, type of movie, but also just how out there it is and how um, what the story it's trying to tell is. It's not like a simplistic kind of thing. It's very thinky, um, <laughs> but not in a not in a way that's really complicated. It's just a complicated idea yeah. of like. Um, the, these the, basically the, it, it it's trying to look at the ongoing effects that like generations have upon the next generations that come after them sure you know and how like everything is a product of its past 
and will influence everything else moving forward, which is just neat. Yeah, sure. It's um, cool. All right, well, that, I think it's probably all we've got for Beef Nussel Pleasure then. That'll do it. Sorry, uh, what? <laughs> if <laughs> I had to do it, you have to do it as well. Beef Nussel Pleasure. Right, That's probably all we got for that segment. Better. i got to go and watch <laughs> Leviathan a few more times. <laughs> I think next week I'm going to want to go in on the Breaking Bad movie that's just come out. I've mm. started watching it, but I sort of paused it halfway through. It doesn't matter. I'm going to watch it for next week. So if you want to be up to date with that, I reckon I'm going to talk about that next week. Okay. I'm not talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Good, because I'm not watching it. In the meantime. Shall we launch into the movie we've done this week? Yeah, so this week we watched Joker, which is obviously... Oh look, I'm pretty sure everyone that's listening to this has heard about it already, but um, it's the latest film by Todd Phillips, uh, who most famously directed the Hangover films. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it is part sci-fi, uh, part romance drama. Joaquin Phoenix plays a shitty stand-up comic that falls in love with uh, his Korean virtual assistant, on his mobile phone that's voiced <laughs> by Scarlett Johansson. Hold on. After his assistant tells him that she can't stand to listen to any more Epstein theories, uh, she leaves to join the Israeli Defense Force, <laughs> uh, at which point Fleck begins to pour more and more energy into his evil clown stand-up routine. <laughs> uh, when it bombs in front of 12 people at his local Denny's, uh, Fleck snaps, vowing to unleash his hordes of uh, internet fans upon the world. Oh, so, Oscar, riddle me this. Riddle me this. <laughs> Riddle me this. <laughs> what did you think of the Joker? I mean, look, here's, here's I'll how have I have no comments made on my intro, by the way. Here's what I feel. I'm just saying that you said you had an intro prepared and you said it was good and you came out with that. And I'm just saying it's a little bit two faced of you. you know, it's, uh, Very good. <laughs> uh, no, I thought it was cool. I That's a different villain. Oh, fuck, I'm clever. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I thought it was really cool. Um, so, of course, it is uh, like an origin story for the Joker. It's not based on any one uh, existing comic book or iteration. Anything. Like, I thought maybe it would be based on the Dark Knight Returns or the Killing Joke or something like that, but it's not. I think it's definitely like in- inspired by the existing backstory of the Joker in that it's this dude named Arthur Fleck and he's a failed stand-up comedian. But I think that each each text that offers a origin for the Joker does it a bit differently and this is a bit different again. It's an uh, it's a from-the-ground-up reading. Yeah, not that I'm that familiar with comics and shit. So if the one nerd we have out there that listens to this little sort of reads all that shit wants to tell me <laughs> little that I'm wrong, <laughs> tell me I'm wrong. But my understanding is it's not like a... An adaptation of The Killing Joke or anything like that. Um, I thought it was really cool. It is definitely one of the most confronting, one of the most gritty, for want of a better word, um, one of the most realistic kind of interpretations of the Joker's origin story. I feel like it's yeah. definitely very blunt and there's a lot of political type things that there's, it there's so much politics like, in this movie it's hitting you over the head with it in a way where i thought like all right fine the film feels like it's it thinks it's a bit cleverer than it is i think sometimes but all in all i really enjoyed it walking phoenix does a great performance as the joker uh, the vague story for the movie is that he's a guy that suffers from a tremendously debilitating, debilitating mental illness. mental illness where he <laughs> I think it's the one thing where I was like, oh, come on, where he um, he says like, oh, I just randomly laugh. I randomly cackle all the time when I'm stressed. I think that's a real neurological disorder. I suppose so. But it, it felt, 
I've, I've heard a lot of people say they didn't mind it, but or they really liked that mechanic of like, oh, that's why the Joker laughs, like, oh yeah, kind of thing. Um, not doing that again. <laughs> so, uh, I felt like I needed to do it. Get what? that kookaburra Walk- out of the room. Walk in. Is that you? <laughs> um, uh, no, sorry, I was just possessed by the ghost of theatre for a moment. Um, you know how we said that we didn't like the solo movie because it explained like here's why he wears the waistcoat and here's where he got that gun. It has from. to explain everything. Here's why he calls Chewy Chewy. Like for a moment, I thought like, oh, is that? I was also worried about. <laughs> is that, that what they're doing? Yeah. I didn't but mind it. He's he this mentally ill guy. He's going to see like a social worker and he's getting like government funded. I, I don't know, like depression meds or meds for some sort of schizophrenic type Treatment. condition that he's got. Um, uh, the film has a lot of political type messaging in it. In that, like halfway through the movie. The funding for his social social worker gets cut off, and he no longer has access to his medication. And he sort of falls deeper and deeper into the trappings of his mental illness and the trappings that society has around the way in which people with mental illnesses are treated. I think, um, and I think first and foremost, it really feels like he's a, he's a he's a bad guy already, but he's also but kind he of a not victim of society. Bad guy. Like it seems like he's he's a bit of a the film plays him a bit as like a victim of a broken system as well. That is absolutely and what he the is. way that the ambiguity that the film rides around like is this guy like a like a piece of shit? Is he this or is it's it's like right down the middle? It's a very grey kind of movie, and I really enjoyed the appealing way in which they played him in a way that you feel sorry for him but at the same time you kind of hate him I think, what part, you think? Of, part of it is targeting that like it's interesting that you say that it, it sort of rides a line between the two things because already people want want that it, they want it to be a binary of like is is he a good guy or a bad guy and it's like well the point is that he's that people people aren't like that people are complicated yeah you don't you're not a uh, you you don't fall into that binary category yeah. of like good or bad. Um, he's a deeply troubled person who, uh, th- it's a very psychological perspective because it's it sort of approaches the 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 nature nurture debate is totally settled in modern day psychology, right? It's 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 both. Um, you're born with predispositions and your the factors surrounding your upbringing and your societal situation like and your environment. Aid or abet those. Yeah, right, right exactly. Um, and that is exactly the way that this film treats Arthur Fleck. Yeah. He's born with these predisposed kind of characteristics, uh, but were he given a different situation, he probably would have been like a well-functioning member of a society, yeah. but the society had no interest or uh, wish to help him yeah. And he becomes more and more disenfranchised and more and more uh, e- kind of exiled from the way that this society is supposed to, hugely because he's poor. And as a result, he ends up rebelling against it and happens to do so violently. Yeah. Um, it, it, so, it's a, yeah, it is a very nuanced portrayal of, of someone with those kind of difficulties struggling in the system. Yeah, that he's struggling. It does a lot of the stuff that because we watched it separately, we haven't actually talked very much about it yet. No. Um, I was keen to hear what you thought about it. Oh, um, can we just sorry take a step back for a second? I'll remember what yeah. you were going to say. But um, people will probably, if you haven't really, uh, unless you like write fucking online about this movie, um, you've probably just heard some controversy I guess around it I think I've heard more discussions about the controversy than I actually have the controversy so I think the general gist of the controversy there was two things Todd Phillips made a shitty comment about like I quit comedy because of woke culture and so everyone was like well fuck that guy (laughs) Um, and 
the bottom line of that is that it was a dumb thing for him to say, but and like uh, he probably should have been more careful about what he was saying. Yeah. I don't agree with the statement, but it's not reflected in the movie at all. Um, so it, just ignore that. And the second thing is that this movie is going to promote the type of, like this general approach that this movie is going to promote the type of behavior that it shows the Joker doing. Which, which is, is the same sort of shit as like video games cause It's violence. exactly that yeah. same <laughs> neoliberal civility discourse bullshit. That's yeah. not what this movie does. It's not, it's not, it is sympathetic to his character, but not sympathetic to his actions. And um, all of it's just manufactured bullshit um, that you should yeah. do your absolute best to ignore. Well, I, yeah, I, don't, I think it's the same kind of like, yeah, yeah, like nanny state stuff, man, where it's like, oh, it's a violent movie and you shouldn't. Yeah, it's a cool. Yeah. It's a cool movie, and I think it's ultimately kind of heartbreaking. Watch this guy who is like a at the very beginning of the movie. He seems like a very fundamentally good guy. Like he loves his mum. He takes care. He like makes all the sacrifices in his own life to be able to take care of his mum. He w- and loves like, his job at a fucking children's hospital as he's, an entertainer. Yeah, he, he's like a clown for hire, and he's really good at it. And he's like a really nice, friendly guy. And he's just kind of people that just mean to him for no reason. Yeah, um, he doesn't fit the mold. Yeah, right. Um, he he works really hard. He he's a dreamer. He's a romantic. Um, and so I really enjoyed enjoyed in like a sick way, like watching this guy's. I, I thought the movie did a really good job of like making you feel heartbroken watching this guy's life like crumble to pieces. Yes, yeah. um, it's so good. It, I thought it was really good, all in all. I yeah. really enjoyed it. Um, it's set in Gotham City, obviously, but it's very much going for like a filthy. It's New York. Yeah, it's like New York, dirty nineteen seventies, early eighties New York type thing. Um, the film like the, the <laughs> they talk about like infestations of rats and like there's a garbage workers there's a strike. Garbage strike. So the film the the film the whole way through looks really gritty and dirty from a cinematographic point of view, but also like the city is literally covered in garbage and like mm. it really complements the sort of dirty gritty outlook of the film politically. I thought right. It's set in like an un- it's it seemed like kind of ambiguous as to when it was actually set. I thought like I suppose like seventies, but Maybe it's not ambiguous. It's set in like the late seventies, I think. Yeah, I um, think so. But it's got. I thought the soundtrack was was brilliant. Um, Eight, Eighty one is when it's set. Okay, right. Well, so it it had a lot of oldie worldy kind of music. A lot of notable like Frank Sinatra songs. Um, sort of fifties, sixties kind of doo wop kind of pop songs as well. If you know what I mean, like a like. I'm not going to be. Able, I don't know that style of music to know well enough whether like pulling a name out of my ass like Cole Porter or whatever is correct. But like yeah. 50s, 60s, the same sort of tone of music where you'd know it if you heard it, like old old Frank Sinatra type stuff. Uh, but then mixed in with that is a really great like orchest- orchestration, an orchestral score. Yeah, where lots of like discordant type stuff, lots of strings that are sort of like adding tension. to Stuff you might expect from more of like a horror movie, yeah. or a thriller. Yeah. Um, I heard some people say they didn't really like the pop stuff, but I think it worked really well. I think all the I think all the the choices for the soundtrack um, did a really good job. I, I heard I didn't Scors- notice it much. Yeah. So well, I heard that Scorsese was going to be a producer or in some way involved with this originally, and isn't at the, isn't anymore. But you definitely get a real Scorsese kind of vibe to it. Mm. Um, I haven't seen Taxi Driver, but people are comparing this to Taxi Driver a lot. It is the overt in having drawn influence from and, that, including yeah. casting Robert De Niro. And Scorsese's really guilty of that himself in like slapping in all that seventies rock music. I think the one bit mm. where I was like, "Oh, here we go," is that when they play. There's a bit with like a uh, 
there's like a car ride where they're riding through Gotham City and White Room by Cream plays, and that oh, felt yeah. like a real, um, I don't know, like a Goodfellas kind of movie yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess the the if we want to discuss the storyline, it's a very it's quite a simple storyline, like plot wise. Yeah. I don't think there's, yeah, there's not much plot to it. It really feels like more of a character piece. Yeah, of, yeah, and I think that's where the complexity comes in. But if we want to talk more about that. We'll get into spoilers in a sec because yeah. I think once we've described, you're you're either already going to see this movie or you're not going to see it. Yeah, you should see it. It's good. Yeah. Everything that you've heard about it telling you not to see it is uh, completely unjustified. I can't but imagine that many of the people that listen to this are worried about that. Sort of probably shit, you know? not. But just in case people people who are deciding whether or not to go and see this movie, especially if it's like, I don't know, there's such power behind like this idea of like. Uh, no, this movie's fucking cancelled. It's like, don't yeah. go see it. It's, it's bad now. <laughs> yeah. And it's that's just not applicable to this movie. Um, yeah. As someone who is like very guilty of doing that type of shit. Um, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's good, folks. Go see it. Yeah. But um, I thematically, the thing that really hooked me about this movie regarding like not so much the direct storyline, but the um, themes... It's the most like class conscious movie that I've ever seen, I think, or at least I one of so, them yeah. where it, it it really is showing the how the system of like um just just a, oppression from like every single direction Arthur Flex in this vice grip yeah. and what you kind of get is that other characters around him are also in a vice grip like his social worker because at one point she really levels with him and she's like they don't give a fuck about you and they also don't give a fuck about me. Yeah. And it's really this moment where he's like it, it's clear that like he's a little more hard done by than a lot of people but that they're all kind of struggling in the same system. Absolutely. It really and the bad people are the rich people, right? Um, yeah. like the Waynes. It does a good job of showing Bruce yeah um Thomas Wayne, Bruce Wayne's dad. Um as being like the on the surface seemingly like caring billionaire dude who's doing his best to help society, but he's actually doing nothing. Right. Or and he's, it's having no tangible impact on Arthur Fleck. Is yeah. What you see from the film. Well, no, he's not interested in changing anything, really. He's only interested in continuing to be rich yeah. um, in whatever way that he can. And uh, he's running for mayor, which is a way that he can accumulate more power politically rather than financially. Uh, but again, has no interest in yeah benefiting the the lives of everyday citizens. In fact, he refers to them as clowns, which is one of the things that sort of starts off this citizens unrest uh, process, which is which runs throughout the movie, where people are rioting and they wear clown masks right, um, that, to disguise their identity. I suppose that will be the main plot of the movie that doesn't have anything to do with directly with Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. Yeah. Is that in a moment of violence, um, in sort of self-defense, but it's a it's a it's a turning point for the character. Joaquin Phoenix commits an act of violence that is the sort of what do you call it? Like the the crucial moment of like no, an in- inflection nothing. point. Yeah, it's it's like an inflection point for this huge social movement of. Um, like a social uprising against the rich and powerful yeah. in Gotham City. Uh, and it seems to be like at the beginning of, I don't know, The Dark Knight, where you see that like in Christopher Nolan's Batman, where like Gotham is this like trash heap full of crime and stuff. Right. It seems like this is the turning point there that sort of pushes the city down that road of like rebellion and upheaval and whatever. Right. 
I feel like I'm not very clearly or concisely articulating that. But well, we would have to get into the spoilers of what it yeah. is, I think. There's so, this yeah. huge, like, there's literally, like, newspapers all over the place that say, like, oh, protest is outside. The got the fucking parliament building say, kill the rich. Eat the rich. Eat yeah, the rich, ki- yeah. Kill, No, it's kill the rich. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they're wearing these clown masks because the mayor said, like, oh, these poor people, they're just clowns. They don't know what's best for them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a big theme through the movie is like the rich people say we're doing the best for the poor people they just have to keep quiet and keep silent and right. stay inside they don't know what they're talking about do it they're told yeah. um, so there's a lot of the themes of like abandonment of the mentally ill and abandonment of the poor disenfranchisement of every the working everyone. class yeah. and that kind of thing in this movie that works really well at the same time though what did you think of the way in which for me it didn't really seem like it was doing a very good job of articulating that in a very nuanced way. Like it seemed like if you get rid of every, every headline, if you get rid of every shot in this movie, that's just a shot of a newspaper headline. <laughs> like you lose a lot of the substance of the movie. I think the difficulty comes in the, one of the reasons why they were so overt about that was that a, um, like not for a regular audience. Movies, yeah. yeah. They're not going to get it unless you do beat them over the head with it. And I think it's, <laughs> I, I'm glad that there is a movie out here saying this stuff that's got the scale and impact that this one does. But um, I, I think that the, the tough part comes from the fact that Arthur Fleck, who is a mentally ill individual struggling in this world, um, is the main character and the point of empathy, right? So you only can see what he really sees. Yeah. And so it can't and linger a, too much. Way. Yeah. And, and it can't linger too much on other ways to show you this. So you know, he works a shit job. That's a way of showing it to you. I suppose he lives so. with his mother in this dingy fucking apartment. They have conversations about how, like, she is poor and the man that she used to work for is rich, so she used to work for Thomas Wayne. And, like, could help her at any time and chooses not to. Right. And the, the idea, I, I guess all of that is a way of sort of showing you this system without, like, really beating you over the head about it, but it isn't... Yeah. So they're not talking about like how uh, his mother's not like, I'm oppressed by the system of capitalism and Thomas yeah, Wayne no. represents that. Yeah. But it's one step before that. I suppose that does. I suppose, yeah, to be fair, a lot of the time of the movie is spent on the character and the small scale story of Arthur Fleck. Yeah. And so if they have to be a bit heavy handed in their painting of the backdrop, that is the political unrest in the city, I suppose that's fine. Because so yeah, much I'm of not the movie, sure what I would have done differently, yeah, but I, I agree. So. It's not exactly, yes, it's it's not exactly an, an, a sleight of hand that it manages to get yeah. capitalism into the movie, but... Like, I feel like it was doing a good job, and then there's literally, the camera pans over to a newspaper <laughs> where the headline is, kill the rich with yeah. a picture of a clown, and I'm like, yeah, dude, I get it. Like, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, as someone else pointed out, he literally gets beaten over the head with a sign that says, <laughs> everything must go at the start of the movie, and it's kind of like, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do we want to launch into some spoilers for the film? I reckon like, so. Of, yeah, cool. Uh, if you want to watch see this it, movie, what just watch this movie? It's good. It's a low budget, gritty, great storyline at its core, yeah. and all of the politics are very much something more interesting that you can read into. Funnily enough, a comic book movie that Scorsese might think is cinema. Uh, Moving well, pictures sync to sound at all. So I'm not quite sure whether or not this is true, but I think it's probably going to convince more people to see it if they know yeah. this. I, I think this was a movie that Todd Phillips had in his mind already, and they got the Joker as a skin over the top of it. 
I saw um, that somewhere. To sort of sell it. And I think it, it shows because some of the themes don't necessarily need to be... That's one of the reasons why not every single aspect of the Joker is explained. But it, it also works really well because the Joker is kind of a, a like a bit of a yardstick of what people see as antisocial in the time or or products of society or whatever. He's, he's like a mysterious, dark character anyway. So I think it's interesting yeah. to... I, I, there's not very much that you needs explaining, I think. You just need like, why is this fucked up guy fucked up? Right. <laughs> but and, and in in what way is he fucked up? Because like uh, well, we were listening to the we both listened to the Chapo Trap House episode where they talk about this. Yeah. And um Felix Biederman, who's a host on that, wrote this article where he says like each iteration of the Joker is this interesting reflection of the signs of the times. And he's talking about how like the um, I won't go through all of them, but like, for example, the Jared Leto Joker is just this fucking reactionary piece of shit because it was just like, we just want the icon of the Joker without any of the actual substance. And yeah. it was like post 2016 and everyone was confused by the election and didn't really know where to go. But like Heath Ledger's portrayal of the Joker is someone that was kind of a true anarchist. Like he burns the pile of money and he's not interested in... Um, I'm not going to do a good job, but Google the Felix Biederman article. But I think it's just an interesting way to compare how how much like in the Dark Knight trilogy, Heath Ledger's Joker was such a um, such an anarchist and just such an, a direct opposition of Batman. Yeah, where his greatest threat was someone where they didn't have a motive other than to try and like destroy the fabric of society. Whereas in this one, it's a completely understandable. Well, perspective for is, the character yeah. to have. I didn't really agree with, or really, the argument that the Chapo dude had where he was sort of relating every Joker back to the election and the election's effect on society. Right, they do that, but... Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't. Re- I wasn't really particularly convinced by that. Like, uh, I, every time I dip in an episode of that podcast and they're like, and here's another thing why Trump ruined a Batman movie. I'm like, all right, fine. Um, <laughs> something that I did think was interesting that it made me think about was, yeah, the, the idea that in The Dark Knight... Batman and the Joker are really kind of presented as like a yin and yang type thing. Can't exist without the other, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then Heath Ledger, yeah, so Heath Ledger's Joker is like this mysterious dark horse figure, like agent of chaos, where the iconic line there, of course, is like some men just want to watch the world burn. Mm. They don't, he doesn't care about anything. He doesn't have. Yeah, any reason to do any of his shit. And so I enjoyed this as like a fresh, realistic take on the character, which I wasn't really expecting. I thought, I suppose looking at Heath Ledger's Joker without having seen this, I thought that was as good as it gets. Like there's, there's no more fleshing out that needs to be done. And then watching this, I realized kind of how hollow and one dimensional in some respects the the Heath Ledger Joker is. It's an amazing performance, Mm. but the actual character is very, yeah, it's, it's almost intentionally like he just wants to fuck with the system like, yeah. he just wants to mess well, with people. I suppose you can tell that it's a figure in an action movie, whereas this is like a drama that's a, very a real specifically person. focused on just... Yeah, depicting this guy as a real guy with, like, real ambitions. If we're straight up giving spoilers and everything now, and you can tune out. Yeah, spoilers, um, spoilers, spoilers. <laughs> one of the main parts of the movie is the idea that uh, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker has all these delusions, mm. delusions of grandeur and sort of... Uh, Hallucinations, almost. I suppose delusions. Literal, yeah, imaginings of non-reality. And so, there's. Did you see? So, the bit with the neighbor. Did you see any of that coming? Yeah, I thought that was I really well to, done. Oh, really? No, yeah. I turned to Emily, <laughs> my partner, and I said the first time it happened. The first time after. So he does the like thing in the corridor. And yeah. I was like, Ugh, 
that's a bad, that's a red flag. And then the first time they interact after that point, I was like, this isn't real, is it? I thought and the movie was bad enough. When I watched right. that, I thought it was a shit six out of ten movie. When I was like, oh, you're letting him have a romance yeah. with the neighbor down the hall? He's clearly crazy. This movie is a bit trash I yeah. thought, at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, for me, what happened was... I was all in on the fact that these were hallucinations. I really liked the way that it was just showing you what happened instead of like bothering to have him kind of invent some yeah. like or talk to himself or monologue or something because that's what a worse movie would have done. But then they have that montage where it shows you again all of the moments and it's like, and remember this? And it was like, yeah, motherfucker, yeah, I like knew it, it wasn't real. It's, that's of course <laughs> it wasn't real. Yeah, It's like right, the movie so- didn't trust itself enough that's to exactly what it was. I rely thought. on the fact that it had done that, and so I, that was the low, <laughs> lowest point of the movie for me. That was the worst part of it was when it did that montage, and I mean, it was like, right. the, imagine, yeah, no, right. yeah. and I just thought, like, you, you, you're wasting screen time yeah. now. I, I suppose I didn't. I suppose I didn't enjoy the way it was done. That's not what I meant, but I didn't see it coming. I heard a lot of people be like, oh, I picked it straight away. I thought I the, understand why if you thought give, it was yeah. bad enough that I didn't yeah. give the movie enough credit to right. be able to do that. I thought like it hadn't bought it hadn't won me over yet. So then yeah. to have this like hack ass romance come out of nowhere, I thought like <laughs> Oh, well, this movie's just that shit. Yeah, and it then does it recognize it's it's like this white guy being like, no, this guy can like get with anyone, any lady he wants. Right. Um, it was cemented for me when he was up on stage performing really, really well, and then it sort of turns out that that wasn't real either, because then he actually gets up on stage and his condition prevents him from actually um, performing. Yeah, and. That was the moment where I, I it I was certain that it wasn't none of it was real because well, I was really, like, well, yeah. he's clearly got delusions of reality, and he's got these like this like web of lies where he's telling everyone like, no, my comedy's going really well, and like, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, they say I'm ready for the big clubs, and he's like writing crazy person notes in the yeah. audience of apparently, comedy club and not performing at all. Apparently, and, that book yeah was given to him, the actor, totally blank. And all of the shit that you see in it is like his personal <laughs> scribblings, <feet>. yeah, expl- <laughs> explorations of the character. Yeah, and he said like someone was like, if we were going to read that, what would it say? And he was like, it wouldn't really make a lot of sense. Um, it was very disrupted, well, and but there's some really messed up stuff in there when you're flicking through. It reminded me of uh, Bird Box when the British dude spoils for Bird Box when the British <laughs> dude pulls out all of his sketches and there's all these like crazy like yeah, monster yeah, yeah. sketches because there's some stuff in it that looks like that. Like, oh jeez! And yeah. then like yeah, there's like violent erotica and um, suicidal thoughts and that. Yeah, sort of stuff, like really yeah. yeah, and and then also like his his quote material end quote yeah um i think by the way one of the places that now that we're into spoilers one of the places where all of the incel headlines have come from is is that neighbor through line where he's angry like this allegation that he's angry about the woman scorning him because he shows up in her apartment and she's like get the fuck out Uh, yeah very reasonable thing i think but he wasn't angry about that he was just like it's just another way that he tried to interact and failed but that's not what drives any of his anger, and it's not the movie saying that either. Yeah. So all of that again is just manufactured shit. I think it's yeah, it's 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 such a beautifully heartbreaking depiction where it's like if this guy had one wish, he would just wish he didn't have this mental illness. Yeah, because every single part of the movie that's this delusion of grandeur is like, I wish I could 
have a relationship with a woman, but everyone thinks everyone's scared of the way I act. Right. I wish I could be a stand-up comic, but I'm unable of actually delivering the lines without laughing. And yeah, I wish. I He's wish also all this stuff like he has this condition apparently because he was like chained to a radiator and beaten and got brain damage as a child. Right. It's not even like. I don't know. Like, there's a totally... It's a heartbreaking explanation. Like, he's absolutely from step one a victim yeah. of his circumstance and of society. And he acts within that with agency. But um, it, it, there's so many environmental factors against him. Mm. Uh, it is very sympathetic. It is very sad. It is heartbreaking. All of it. Um, yeah. I, I've, I did feel... Like, anyone who doesn't feel sympathy for this character is trying not to, I yeah. think. Because he is... It's it is heartbreaking. It is well, sad. Yeah, it, and it makes you really uncomfortable. And I think yes. in the way that it makes you feel sympathy for him, it does a lot of, um, yeah, just just a lot of scenes like that where it puts him in these heartbreaking situations, and you know where it's going, and you sort of see him do more and more increasingly violent, unwarranted kind of things, almost in a way to like get back at the system. I suppose, um, yeah. Yeah, like he kills three guys on a train. It was like, well, they were they were a dick to you, but you didn't need to fucking like. I well, they were to Wall Street XX. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, to, but it's to like, be honest. Yeah, but it's it's Calling like you're getting back at the, you're above. getting back at the system. You're not getting back at those three guys. Like I, I listened to a reviewer, he was saying like he shot the first guy in self defense, and he fucking hunted yeah. down the third guy. It's really interesting watching the transition. Yeah, um, and I, I actually thought that was really really great. Uh, the way that they chose to. Like that, that you've got three steps, and each step is like a ratchet. Where he, he, the first time he does it, yeah, you're right, it's self defense. The second time, you can see that maybe he doesn't need to do it. It's like a moment of panic, and he shoots him. Yeah, and you could go, you, you could argue that he was still scared of him or felt threatened by him. But the third one, he's running away, he's getting up the stairs, and Phoenix like pops in and out of the train to try yeah, and catch him and, exactly. and aim at him. And, like, it's so deliberate yeah. and so unnecessary. Uh, it's wonderful as a transition, yeah. like, a, as as that inflection point. And there's, so- I think there's two of those in the film. There's the first one where he's killing the people on the train, the three guys. And that's the act where he kills these three Wall Street dudes yeah. that were employees of Thomas Wayne. They and were harassing a crowd. Woman. Yeah, crowds of people are saying, like, oh, they, they were murdered because they represent the rich and we're going to all rise up against the rich now and there's all these protests in the street. Yeah, it's like he, he was, was finally doing something. They were just, like, bullying him on the train. Right. I mean... <laughs> so the, the second scene you were saying. Yeah, the second one is... Uh, I think it's immediately after that, but I'm talking about, like, transitions of characters. Yeah, so sure. he panics and he runs to a public bathroom, I think it is. Yeah. He locks himself in there, and then he does this Tai Chi-inspired, like, dance movement, which is just this sort of private meditative thing. It was really and, odd. There's several scenes of that in the film. Yeah, and he really... I felt like he... He was panicked and he didn't know what was... He he was very uncertain about what was going on and then he stopped and calmed himself, clearly in a way that he's done before. Yeah. But him calming himself was actually him kind of reassuring himself about what he'd done and uh, being comfortable with the idea of what he actually is. Yeah. And then that was the moment where he stops being Arthur Fleck and starts being Joker. Joker. At some point, which I thought was really cool. I did. Yeah, in the moment, I didn't really. In- I th- I thought like when a couple of those dancing scenes are happening, I thought like, what's going on? But the more the more the film does it, the more it becomes a recurring motif. The more it becomes fascinating. That the the music choice behind the dancing, like at the start, it's kind of calming in that bathroom. There's a scene towards the end that's um 
getting publicity because it's a Gary Glitter song, but whatever. Yeah. The point is like the, the, the song choice they choose there and like the victorious, like he's all dressed up in colorful Joker outfit, dancing on the on the, on the, steps. On the stairs. It's the shot from the poster and he's backlit and he's jubilant almost. Yeah. And the difference in the way he's moving and the difference in the tone of the whole movie when that's happening sort of is symbolic of the transformation he's going on as well. And it's right. shown in the way that the characters are dancing around. Joaquin Phoenix yes. in this interview is a great interview with a, I think a Canadian journalist where like the one pull quote from it has been like, oh, Joaquin Phoenix wants to do a, a sequel, but it's a great interview. Right. And he was talking about... Um, <laughs> he said originally he wanted to gain weight just because it's a pain in the ass to lose weight. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> he said like, yeah, it's fun to get fat, you can eat whatever you want. Yeah. Um, but then he was talking about, they were like, oh no, it actually... It would probably make any amount of sense if you lost. <laughs> so he's like skeletal in this movie because yes. he lost a, a load of weight. And he says that he found that in terms of like establishing the character and understanding the character for himself as an actor, losing that amount of weight allows you to sort of embody the character in a very literal way where you understand how that person might move because it becomes necessary for you to move and sort of hold yourself in different ways. Right. And so you can definitely see a lot of that like in the way in which he dances around and sort of is very gangly in the way he runs. Yeah, um, it was also interesting listening to him talk about that because when you're losing that much weight, you're barely eating. Um, so yeah. he says, number one, you don't spend time with people because like almost all social interaction is around eating. Um, So you just miss out on so much, which I think is an interesting way of like isolating yourself. But also he said there would be points at which because you have no energy, um, he did feel very energized and empowered, but he also said it's a real struggle. He would like get to the bottom of stairs and spend 30 seconds like psyching himself up and telling him like, you can do this. You can do this about a staircase, which I think is an incredibly interesting way to like analogize that particular struggle to a lot of the struggles that I imagine Arthur Fleck as a character would have had. In like a very literal, physical way. Right. I, I'm always so fascinated by like, oh yeah, he lost weight, whatever. And so then to hear someone break down very specifically how, it, a very how it affected acting them. point of view, how it affects his performance. I yeah. think it's fascinating. It or, is. If- and he is notoriously clo- tight-lipped about his, both him in private life and also his like methods of acting. And well, um, sometimes he comes across as a bit of a dick in interviews or he has previously. Yeah. But I think that's because people are always trying to like, trying to be the one to break the big yeah new insight into like how Joaquin Phoenix does his job well like, yeah. leave the fucking guy alone I heard someone talk in an interview recently and I don't remember it was on a podcast or whatever where they were talking about iconic actors and you don't really see them talk much like Daniel Day- Daniel Day-Lewis and Joaquin Phoenix it was the specifically. it was the hot ones with Shia LaBeouf and he asked like what would you do differently and Shia LaBeouf said right like, that was exactly what it is I would keep yeah. more of my personal life hidden because I think it lets people not see you as a person, but see whoever you're playing as that's a character. E- that's exactly what it was, right? Yeah, that was such a good interview, mm. that Shia LaBeouf really interview. Good. Anyway, um, you see a lot of that in the way that Joaquin Phoenix behaves in interviews and the way in which he doesn't really disclose very much and he's very guarded. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. It was inter- there was a Jimmy Kimmel interview, unfortunately, Damn. with him where he was talking about the dancing um, and he used to... It was funny that the journey that they both went on where like he sort of started asking about like, are you a good dancer or whatever? And... Uh, Joaquin Phoenix is talking about his private like his early private life and he says like oh yeah I killed it and the more questions that Kimmel asks the more he probes about it the more you realize that like this is he, what Phoenix used to dance alone as a private process to try and like self-express in his room <laughs> by himself right so like exactly what this character yeah did. and then uh, Kimmel sort of 
sort of says, right, so it was like just you in your room with a piece of cardboard. And Phoenix says, he's like, well, you're making fun of it, but it was pretty important to me. And I was like, he just takes himself really seriously yeah. in a way that... It's not compatible with the In a way that means he's doing... And, right, yeah. everyone wants everything to be like this lighthearted joke thing and it must be infuriating for him to reveal even the slightest piece of information and have people and be like, be like oh. yeah, wow, that's so funny to think about. And he's like, yeah, well, that's one of the reasons why I'm the way that I am. Yeah. You know, like if I, was, if I didn't do stuff like that, I wouldn't be able to embody this character in this way. So. Or any character yeah. in the way that I, he does, so... Um, yeah. yeah, so thinking more about my, like my general overview of the movie, I thought that I, I mentioned before about how I didn't really notice the the na- pick the neighbor twist as much, where mm. the neighbor his relationship with the neighbor is his girlfriend. Played by Zazie Beats, she does a very good job. Yeah, she was great. Um, like the story where like they're not actually having a romance; that was all just his delusion. Um, after the point reveals that that's a delusion. I was sort of a bit more all in on the movie. Right. I was starting to notice a lot more stuff because um, it had kind of sold me on this whole like unreliable narrator thing. And in a way, I thought like, oh, I thought the movie like, I thought like, oh, you're better than this. Come on. And then it was like, yeah, we are better than this. Yeah. Gosh, you now it's like, what is happening? Yeah. What is real? And so what, what it made me sort of go it? back and think more about the rest of it in a way that I've found myself doing a lot with movies recently. Like I was talking with a friend about um, the Tarantino movie the camera recently that once put a time in Hollywood yes. about how it felt really slow. And then the more you think about it in retrospect, you're like, oh, in retrospect, that was good. It seems <laughs> right. dumb. But like right. in the same way as this, you're like, oh, in retrospect, it really knew what it was doing. And it was just like the uh, the worldview that I was bringing to the movie that influenced Yeah, that it has to break down over time. Yeah. Yeah. Which is another reason why Martin Scorsese shouldn't be saying fucking Marvel <laughs> movies are trash when he hasn't fucking seen them. Because yeah. it makes you go to movies like this being like, this is probably trash and you're going to have to win me up. Well, it was actually great, and I would have—I would have enjoyed the first forty-five minutes of Joker if Martin Scorsese hadn't kept his fucking mouth shut. Direct your angry letters to Marty. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I really. So, yeah. What did you think enjoyed. of the way this movie looked? Yeah, it was great. Wasn't Not just it? His, because his performance, like people have talked about it heaps. Mm, a um, lot of the shots, the, the shots, man. Um, mm. the, the way the city was depicted was really good. It reminded me a lot of like a comic book movie version of you were never really here in the best way like a lot of the like the orange gas lamp whatever the fuck they're called like street lights I think they're the like mercury bulbs whatever they are they <laughs> I saw, were like, I saw oh. someone on Twitter and they were like okay here's my take on the Joker and then the only thing they talked about was how there wasn't like there wouldn't have been that many of that type of street light <laughs> in the 1980s because yeah. they hadn't transitioned to that <laughs> it was like yeah. that's all I have to say about yeah. it <laughs> well it's whatever funny. it was like the orange street lights there was a lot of scenes with that where it's really beautiful a lot of really beautiful shots again where clearly they cared a lot about how the film looked and they were having a lot of fun with it. I think that the way in which it sort of ramps up over the course of the movie, and this is less to do with the cinematography and more to do with, I suppose, the overall sort of depiction of the character and the way in which um, his performance sort of gets more and more chaotic and frantic as it goes on is really interesting. Um, I don't know. Did you have anything specifically about the cinematography? No, I just was interested. I I thought it looked brilliant. Um, I thought it was one of the best looking movies. I thought it was. It managed to be a period piece that was also actually interesting and not just set in the eighties. It yeah, wasn't just one of these films that sort of busted out the props from the props warehouse and yeah. then that's where it's set. It it the way that it was particularly lit, its use of color, 
Yeah, um, the set design was really good. All the dingy little apartments and things that they showed, and like the the backstage upstairs dressing room area where he got dressed up as a clown. Right, I thought were really good and believable. All the background characters and all the side characters that were his sort of workmates, I thought were really great and yeah. added a lot of extra color to the film that it didn't necessarily need to. And I think, yeah, I don't know. It just gave it, it, it did really reinforce this like kind of dreamlike nature of it a little bit. Um, yeah. Which was, and and I was, maybe that ramped up after he sort of has this, these inflection moments and is, is becoming more, yeah. he starts to sort of see the world more colorfully. I kind of agree. He also goes yeah. off his meds. Um, and I don't like the one of my sort of reservations about the movie a little bit is how much it how much it attributes his actions to mental illness because like it's just not yeah. not doing positive work for like well, most people with mental illness aren't violent. I agree um, with you, but even same, severe mental illness. But yeah, yeah, I agree. But in the same respect, like it doesn't actually make a big deal about the going off his meds thing. Like it's not as if there's a scene where he decides not to. I would have hated it if there was a scene where he like decided not to take his pills and then he goes crazy. It's yeah. literally it's it's like towards the end of the movie he mentions to his friends like oh and I went off my meds and I'm feeling better. I think I was more worried that it would do that than like disappointed that it actually did. So and I think yeah. that it it definitely does a good job of saying like no he was abused as a kid and he was beaten and he's got all these other things. It's not just that he has this mental illness. I right. think that you'd have to be really worried about that. Yeah, be, and he makes active yeah. choices. Like it's the way that he reacts to it, so he's still personally responsible. I don't so know the, the, the cinematographer, sorry, the 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 cinematographer <laughs> has worked on fucking heaps. He's worked on. So he started off like Dukes of Hazard, yeah. um, but he's also done uh, Paul, that weird movie with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Yeah, uh, he did the original Hangover movie. L- looking uh, at it though, this list of films, it doesn't seem like it's any movies that I would say have very notable cinematography. It's like the Hangover no, movies. No, it's kind of comedy Dogs. movies. Yeah, I love you, man. <laughs> um, uh, well, and War Dogs was like Tom Phillips' other one, wasn't it? So I think so. Yeah, um, the Dictator. Yeah, but also like 2019, he did the Godzilla King of Monsters <laughs> movie. So this dude was, he's, I don't know, he's doing some work. And maybe yeah. it was a combination of, because it wasn't, you, there might be a team you don't just get a movie that looks this way if you have a great cinematographer. Yeah. You need like a really good production crew, really strong art direction and, and yeah. all that sort of stuff. So it seems like it was a little bit of just having a... a um, the A team. It's funny it. that it's just two guys, yeah, Todd Phillips and his crew that have made these dumb comedies that have seems now like made a this lot of the same cynical, yeah. gritty, dark drama. I don't remember which review it was. It might have been Mark Commode that said, like, look, I didn't really like the Hangover movies the more they went on because they started to become mean and cynical. Right. I think and it as might a have comedy, been Kermode, it didn't yeah. quite work. But he says, so he's just turned his hand to drama and he's made a mean, cynical drama and it works really well. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Stop doing comedies and just do these. It's like, yeah. I, I got out of comedies because of woke culture. It's like, great. <laughs> just, yeah. just do the dramas, mate. Just stick to these, okay? Yeah, I, I, I was really pleasantly surprised by this movie. I thought that, like, it's faults aside, like, I think it might have been a bit heavy-handed with the political stuff where it's like, yeah, bro, I get it. And um, But even then, yeah, not yeah. that bad. Some people have said there were like one too many like Sinatra songs, but no, I thought they were cool. And I thought that they lended a bit of a vintage kind of feel to the film. And I, they they added a lot of the warmth and the culture to the film that I think sort of, I don't know. It was They often added like a bit of a, um, 
like a juxtaposition to the sort of hard, tough life that he was having was like having was that he, he would then like watch a musical on TV and there'd be this upbeat, happy type song and it'd be like it'd be look the soundtrack to his life is very sort of upbeat and he's getting down despite all that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we didn't really even mention the Robert De Niro storyline. I was just about to ask about that. I thought that was cool. I liked it a lot. It's obvious. I haven't seen Taxi Driver, and I think I'm missing out and also, because of King, this. King of Comedy is another Those huge two, yeah. thing of this, where that's Robert De Niro plays like a wannabe stand-up comedian that isn't that good, apparently. Right. Um, Rupert Pupkin, and it follows the story of this dude. Um, and so, in a very similar kind of way, I think the role that Robert De Niro plays in this is almost like an older version of that character. Yeah, it's sort of I, my my understanding is that it's sort of like what that guy would have gone on to be, yeah. and how he would have climbed up the ladder despite uh, not really not having a, any value. Yeah, right. But it does a good job again of that as well as being like a um, another representation of like these rich, ritzy yeah. types that want to make out like they're doing everything to help the little guy but are actually doing nothing. Right. Um, before I get too far away from it, there's, there's a scene where Joker is like scoping out Thomas Wayne where there's this like beautiful... Art Deco building looking thing where it's like a cinema where they're having like a Charlie Chaplin tribute night. And inside the cinema is like all the richest of the rich in like tuxedos and tails. It looks like something out of like a 1920s ball gown, ballroom type scene. A night at the opera. Yeah, they're all in this beautiful looking opera hall watching Charlie Chaplin. Uh, movies while outside the worst most chaotic most violent one of these like kill the rich protests of the all these suffering poor people is happening right outside so they get literally highlights how outdated these rich people are and how so out of touch and ignorant they are of society and culture yeah that like shit's happening right outside and, and they're, they're just in this like, little enclosed cyst a 20s silent movie <laughs> right it's I, I, I think that that was a deliberate choice absolutely the, like, no they're watching like yeah, they're outdated. <laughs> Look at this old-ass movie they're watching. Who likes old movies? And Charlie Chaplin, like one of the OG kind of mod- clowns. modern clowns. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so, yeah. Um, but yes, so Robert De Niro plays like a talk show host, a David Letterman, I suppose, fucking Johnny Carson type. Yeah. Who, Joaquin Phoenix turns out to have like, like a very one-sided paternal kind of relationship with. Yeah. It's the... Um well, I can't. There's a term for it now, but yeah, I can't remember. It, it's where you you feel like you you're friends with someone, but yeah. they're a celebrity and they don't know who you are. Yeah, um, yeah. The his it's a life aspiration of his to be on the talk show, um, and at, at one point after he performs at the comedy club, um, and is the real version of what happens where he's unable to uh, perform because or really to get a joke out because he's laughing. Um, that gets made fun of on De Niro's show. Then they contact him later to have him on as a guest. Like people loved laughing at you on right. the clip. Let's come on, come on the show. And, and yeah, that is, I mean, it's the, it's the not subtext. Is like we'll laugh at you on our exactly. Show as well it's not in so joke. many words, but exactly. He's it's it's very very exploitative. Yeah. Um, and uh, little do we know at that particular point in time. Although I guess we kind of do by that point. He, Arthur Fleck. Joker knows that that's what they want to do and has yeah. no, has no interest in playing the game anymore. Yeah. Um. So yes, he goes on the show again. Spoiler alert: <laughs> he shoots De Niro in the fucking head. And he was um, he's leading up to he was going to kill himself live on air. I think the whole time. Yeah. You you've seen him practice a few times, but he also. I didn't quite click with me. I thought maybe he was just going to do a click 
with an empty gun on TV. No, I think he was. Well, he was thinking about killing himself, but I think he also, at one point when he's rehearsing, yeah, points the gun at the chair next to him. So he is considering the it's, possibilities of what he can do. And again, it's this ambiguity of like, is he? I didn't know what he was going to do. Struggling Arthur Fleck or is yeah. he Joker? And it's that gray like gray line that the film rides the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he ends up to yeah. He he kind of decides to fully embrace. I think. I liked that bit. Um, I liked the fact that he, that's it, it's this. It's really. I mean, it's not like the the Joker in like Heath Ledger's Joker. He's like holding boats, like boatloads of people ransom yeah. with like explosives, and he's threatening to kill hundreds of thousands of people at a time, right? But this is a single act of violence against one yeah. person. So it's interesting the scale of difference. I really like it. I thought this particular act like act of violence fits this movie a lot better. Yeah. Um, because I think if this if this movie had uh, tried to approach that same like scale, it would have just been a catastrophe. Yeah. But what did you think of what comes after that? So, so there's like three like fake out endings, right? Yeah. Like, so after that, so I thought the film could have ended with that. He shoots Johnny Carson on live TV and yeah. does his Joker and the Joker thing straight down the camera. Um, and then he goes out into the. He's arrested, and he's taken out into the street and handcuffed, and he rides along in a cop car through burning Gotham, where it really has turned to like. That's the scene I was reminded it's of. Like when violent you, riots. When, when you're watching the first. Um, Batman movie, I think it is, where Scarecrow's taken over Gotham and Gotham's just this burning wreck. I don't think I've seen Batman Begins oh. since it came out. Well, you know what? It, I don't remember it at all. Right. Well, there's, there's a lot of the same kind of imagery where it's this dark city at night and everything's burning and it's crime and destitutes everywhere. Right. Um, and it's a similar kind of scene where it's like, no, the city's fucked now. Like the 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 rebels and the the misfits have taken over kind of thing. And right. so he does this like cop car ride through there and there's like shit on fire and everything and White Room plays. Um, oh, in Joker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is the big Scorsese bit. Yeah. And then... And he's kind of like smiling at what's going on outside because he yeah. feels like he's contributed. And then he's sort of held aloft as a figure figurehead of this kill the rich political uprising type movement, which he's just then gone on to support even further by killing this rich media guy alive on TV where again I feel like it's he doesn't give a fuck about this he's just playing them all right and he's just doing his own shit right but do you th- okay so then well let's follow this through so at the end of uh, so that he's he you think he might have died you think he might be killed but then he survives the crash uh Right, there's a cop car crash. He gets on the roof of the cop car and the crowd cheer for him. Right, they pull him out of the car and yeah, exactly. He's taken like, back. Christ, Christ-like elevator. <laughs> but then the next scene, it sort of straight cuts to this bit in a... An asylum. Uh, yeah, like a white room where he's <laughs> being interviewed. Um, oh, oh, sorry, yeah. Um, and he's being talked to by this person who's like asking him questions um, about like what... I don't. Well, I can't remember what she's asking, but she ends up asking him about like the Waynes, and he's so, he's laughing and. Is she, it then referencing maybe that everything was a delusion? <laughs> but well, that's the interesting question, right? And but then after that, he is running out of the room with his blood feet. Yeah. And which I think maybe is like he just killed chased her. by an orderly. I would assume, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the there was there were people raising the question of like which of those levels actually happens. And you don't know. And that's really cool. I like that. Right. You don't know whether he was just crazy the whole time, kept in this institution, 
and he's yeah, the whole movie could have been. You don't know whether yeah, right. And another thing that you don't quite know is so his mother the whole way through the movie is always writing letters to Thomas Wayne. Uh, being like, look, I used to work for you, and I'm poor now, and I'm sick, and I really could just use a bit of money. I'm not asking for a handout, but like you always say that your employees are family. I'd, I'd love a handout. Your help, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, the Joker follows up on that by going to Thomas Wayne and being like, look, you might not have got my mum's letters, but he she wants a hand, and I actually I know that like I'm your secret love child or something because my yeah, mom told finds, me that he finds notes. Yeah, yeah, I'm the secret love child of Thomas Wayne, and she, and he goes like, "Oh no, your mom's crazy. She's no, I fired her because yeah, because she's she wouldn't let go of this thing. Yeah. None of that's true. You're adopted. You're all crazy. Fuck off. Right. Um. But then at the end of the movie, there's like a like a picture of Joker's mum, and on the back it says like, "You've got a beautiful smile from T.W. from Thomas Wayne." Yeah, which I suppose is hinting towards like. Oh, maybe the mum wasn't crazy. Yeah, and he has more than enough and influence to like have faked adoption papers. Faked adoption, adoption papers and like put her in an asylum for no reason. Right. So this film actually brings in a question. I, when I was like running back through it in my head, I didn't realize just how much of it was the reality of just how much of this movie was actually questioned yeah. um, by the end of the running time. So I think it is really cool the way that like so much of it is sort of up to your interpretation and it's not, I don't, for once I don't feel like there's a right answer and I'm trying to figure out what it is. It feels like it's meant to be ambiguous um, and it feels like it's meant to be, it's meant to be showing you the emotional state that Arthur Fleck is in where he isn't, a hundred percent connected. He enjoys entertaining these different realities in front yeah. of him, and he's not particularly fixated on which one is actually real, um, because he's as entertained by ones that are as ones that aren't. In fact, the ones that aren't are a lot better. Yeah. Um, and by the end of it, yeah, I walked out thinking like, I don't know, I don't know what whether or not I think Todd Phillips in his head thought that. It, none oh, it's, of, it's none so of it happened and like, it was it all in the anything. asylum or whether or not at the end like when he's elevated by the crowd that's a fixation because that's one of the less believable moments in the film yeah um, but it doesn't feel like it's meant to be not believable you feel like it's meant to be it's just less realistic that this crowd would kind of be ready for him in that way but also like he's made himself look like the them so they could have just been celebrating that someone one of theirs wasn't killed you, you know could, you could think of very technical very specific and like reasons why it's yeah. like i definitely think that like you know it's like no nah, maybe maybe his mum was crazy and walking phoenix was adopted and the photo from thomas wayne is just like a you have a nice smile here's a cool yeah. photo of you like <laughs> you could you well, could if like that was real rationalize too. it any, anyhow and she um, could have written that on the back yeah right like i, I like that there's no it, yeah, it's like a I don't know, like like the best kind of it, like Christopher Nolan movies, where there's a bit of like ambiguity that keeps you going, like mm. oh, right at the end. I think this is really, I think I really enjoyed it. I think it's worth seeing. Yeah, and I guess that's what frustrated me, like with something like Inception, like everyone's trying to figure out, like, ah, oh, is the top still spinning at the end? And it's like, yeah, I know that the point is that it's not meant to be answered one way or another, but it feels like the movie wants me to figure out which one it is. Yeah, this one didn't feel like that. It just felt like all of it is potentially real. You know, I think so. Yeah, and I, I think 
I think in the best possible way. In a good way, yeah, yeah. I, I'm saying a it's a bad thing like, when it feels like you're you haven't solved the puzzle yet. No, I think that's cool. I love that. I, I like that in the most frustrating way. I love that in Inception, like Christopher Nolan could know, and he's he right. just he's just cut it off a frame too early. <laughs> yeah, like it's almost as if like he had an ending where the top falls over, or he had an ending where the top keeps spinning, and, and at he goes, the last minute, oh, if we cut it there, <laughs> yeah. <Well."> yeah. <laughs> I like that. I kind of like it's it's the most genius like. You're almost doing nothing and just getting audiences that much more excited about it because it keeps you thinking about it and you keep thinking like, oh, but what about that bit? What about that bit? And what yeah. about how this is related to... Oh, man. But I'm doing that anyway. It's just that I, I don't have this frustrating sensation. I've just got like a satisfactory kind of feeling. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, that's all I've got, I think. Um, yeah. This movie looks great. It's an incredible performance. It's a great score. It's one of the better scripts that's come out of like a large Hollywood movie in a yeah. really long time. I think I think Joaquin Phoenix's performance did a lot of the heavy lifting there. I think if you look at the actual, I mean, we don't know how much of the script was written, but whatever. Like, I think a lot of a lot of the character I think I got from like nonverbal type um, depictions of the Joker's actions, and a lot of just like the general performance rather than the specific scene-to-scene dialogue. I can't remember who I was talking to about this recently, but they also said, regarding the script, that apparently they were doing a lot of, like, on-the-run writing of, like, (laughs) um, oh, wouldn't it be cool if this happened and this happened? So a lot of the script was not... sort of A lot of the things that made it into the final film weren't necessarily in the first, like, final draft of the script. And I'd imagine that Joaquin Phoenix's performance is so unique and so such a big part of the film that mm. you could almost have that influence the way in which the rest of the film's direction sort of goes. It also, I saw that smear piece where they were just like, um, people were saying how rude it was. Like it was from an interview and in, with Todd Phillips, I think it, Phillips was saying how sometimes Phoenix yeah. just walks off set <laughs> and he never did it with Robert De Niro. And he was saying like, it's not the other person thinks that it's something that they've done, but actually it's just that Phoenix isn't feeling the take or whatever. And so he'll go and take a breather and he'll always come back. Um, but like, if you're doing something like this, and you need to go out and be outside, away, yeah. or the other person's just not really working for you, that's fine. <laughs> like, I mean, a non-sociopath would be like, "Give me a sec, sorry." Or maybe whatever. If that's <laughs> yeah. if, if it takes not doing that to not break character, yeah, right. that's fine. Like you know yeah. what you're getting into when you're agreeing to work with someone like that. I remember the thing that I was going to go with before. It's not relevant at this point. Go for but it, it was just that apparently the listeners Joaquin, will be asking. <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix and Robert De Niro were mutual fans of each other, right? But made a point of never talking to each other on set because and and. This interviewer, this Canadian interviewer, it was a good interview of 20 minutes, asked him about that. And he said, well, yeah, I would love to have talked to Robert De Niro, but I sort of felt that within the context of, I'm paraphrasing, within the context of the char- his character and my character, I think that we were able to give better performance if we weren't just hanging out and gas bagging on set. Right. And like, imagine, like, imagine yeah. the frustration that he would have felt, like knowing that someone was close and not being able to talk to this person that you were so frustrated by, knowing that they would love to meet you and talk to you. And that you I want think, to meet them, yeah. Right, I think that would give you the sense that he has watching De Niro's character through the screen. Right. You know, and De Niro has never met this guy and doesn't I mean, know who he is. Exactly, and that's So that knowing anything separation. about him, yeah would, yeah, would kind of trivialize that. I think it is important that people do those types of things on set. I think yeah. people that get angry or like try to kind of make stories out of how like it's a rude thing to walk off (laughs) or whatever. It's like, well, you don't really know how it's working, right? Mm. Um, It reminds me of that story of Christian Bale having a blow up at the lighting guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah, he's a dick. But to be fair, film sets are like, the lighting guy has three hours to set up and the sound guy has two hours to set up. 
and everything has to be, but the actor has to be ready at a moment. Like, all right, cry and right. stop and cry and stop. And so I could definitely see where, like, if you've been sitting around for 10 hours waiting for your two minutes of work yeah. that you've been prepping for, and some guy's not ready, you could just fly off the like, <laughs> come on, man. Yeah. I think <laughs> you're asking humans to behave in a false way. Like, you're asking Fuck them to... Their mo- emotions. Right. And, yeah. and so, like, when they then get frustrated or act in a, in an antisocial manner because of that, it's like, well, you're getting what you asked for. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're getting them not acting like a person in a polite society. So yeah. I'm kind of like, yeah. Uh, he yeah. I can imagine that he might be a little bit fucked up by this. Right, whole process. like yeah. yeah, exactly. He feels like he's not a human anymore. Like he's gonna yeah. walk off set, take uh, ten minutes or whatever. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, that's funny. I feel like we were waxing lyrical about this more than I actually believe I enjoyed it, but I really enjoyed the film. I yeah. Think all in all, I think it's worth seeing. I don't know. It's like a cinema movie or a DVD movie or whatever, but I think it's worth watching, and I don't think it's. It's definitely considering the track record that the DCs had recently. This is like oh, this is the best DC movie by like a mile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's definitely the best thing that's been done since the Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah, I can't even in terms of like a better than worse than. I thought this was. I think they're so different. I can't really compare them, but I thought this was up there in terms of enjoyment with Dark Knight. Mm. With you, were never really here. It kind of felt like a cross between you were never really here and the Dark Knight in the best possible way. Yeah, I, I get think what you that. Mean. It's it's yeah one of the better movies that I've seen this year, and I really enjoyed it. I think I enjoyed this more than I've enjoyed any Marvel movie. Well, yeah, and then there was like a sick kind of enjoyment from this movie because it is quite confronting. It's very frank, very violent in parts, and I suppose there are a lot of parts to it that could have been better done or could have been had a bit of tweaking. But I think all in all, as like a a, a singular piece, I think it was I think it was very well done. Yeah, it's not it's not perfect. It's not a perfect movie, but yeah. um, I yeah I, I enjoy it on. I enjoyed it as a movie, I enjoyed it as a story, and I enjoyed the meta level that such an important film had such a great portrayal of like class consciousness and was so angry at these, uh, uh, this oppressive force of the 1%. Um, I really enjoyed that. I got a lot of satisfaction out of that. Yeah. Unfortunately, it was also made by a lot of those people. <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I but I mean, you know, you, you can have those people be conscious and whatever. They're know, in the position to make the movie. It's I think like, it's yeah. the same bullshit argument as like, oh, but you can't argue about climate change, but also fly on planes. It's yeah. like, you know, to some, look, they're doing something. Like Bernie Sanders owns a house. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's not arguing that no one should own a house. I think it's the laziest argument to be like, well, yeah. they're not acting perfectly, so they don't have any say at all. It's like, well, they're, they're making this movie. And I, they're I just want movie. all films to be made by a writer-director right. or For- a combination of writer-directors and distributed independently. All movies need to have a budget of $1,000. <laughs> that's what I want. <laughs> no, they can have more, but only if it's like crowdfunded you know <laughs> yeah, that's no, that's what that's my perfect world but the, yeah. never never gonna get there yeah i think it's about a week in waffle on for this week speaking of um, anarchy yes <laughs> thank you for joining us you can jump in on it's our been lovely it's been having great. you sorry there's been a bit of, bit of intermittent but i'm hoping that the time that we've taken to be able to collect ourselves yeah has resulted in so the reason i was out of the state on two weeks running fuck. on the night that we record yeah and so we were just like fuck it <laughs> we're like what are you doing on tuesday and he was like i'm in melbourne what about next tuesday i'm, in I'm melbourne. also no, in no, melbourne next tuesday yeah yeah separately yes. in melbourne I, fuck I, me i'll be there i'll be coming back and then i'll be back there again and then i'll be coming back again so yeah but thank you for sticking with us we still enjoy doing this and it's great to have people listening um well, you can dive in on a bit of discussion we have a facebook discussion group called beef station beef posting we'll have a link it in the description here if you want to email us for any Little messages. Mm. Our email address pod at gmail.com. That's in the description as well. Post in the group, we check it all the time. Yeah, if you got any, you know, if you want to 
ask people about their favorite superhero movies or their favorite weird dark <laughs> cock films. <laughs> you can post there as well. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. What was us. a better incel movie? <laughs> yeah. I'm Oscar. Andrew. See you later. A pawn and a king I've been up and down and over and out And I know one thing Each time I find myself Flat on my face I pick myself up and get back in the race That's life That's life I tell you, I can't deny it I thought of quitting, baby, but my heart just ain't gonna buy.